I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Pamela Weibel. Pamela is a 51-year-old family medicine physician, emotional bungee jumper, and expert on physician suicide. I met Pamela as a keynote speaker on the topic of why doctors are killing themselves and what we can do about it. We caught up and decided to record an interview for the podcast. During this conversation, we discuss her fondest childhood memories in a morgue with her father, how a pediatrician's funeral service woke her up to the epidemic of physician suicide, and why she released her book on Juneteenth with endless optimism for a day that can change everything. Before we talk more about Pamela, I want to talk about my my projects real fast, I promise. So I have my weekly reflections on medical, ed, on medical training uh, now as a resident um, from the very first day of medical school at, uh, with my anatomy lab to now uh, one and a half months into my PGY1 or intern first year of, of residency training as a, for psychiatry. And I call this all uh, on the umbrella project of On the Education of a Physician. And you can find them in their entirety on my website, eugeneh.kim. That's E-U-G-E-N-E-H dot Kim, K-I-M. Or you can go to to Amazon and find the uh, Kindle or paperback copies of them uh, there. And you just search for physician education and it'll pop right up there for you. I got nice colorful uh, book covers for you to find. Um, And so, yeah, like I mentioned, you can find them on the website or you can get them uh, for your reading pleasure, collected and edited for clarity on Amazon. And so more uh, on July 21st, 2019, I published On a Weird Week or A Meditation on Never Being Done. This week, I reflected upon a weird week. My grandmothers have tagged out. The grandmothers have tagged out. I'm still getting back into a groove from my weekend call, and I'm reminded that my relationship with Mackenzie is the priority. Then more recently, I published on July 28th, 2019, on a funky week. This week, I reflected on the funk of this week. Funky patient encounters, funky weeks ahead with Mackenzie rotating on two night shifts, and funky rhythms without the novelty of a new clinic every few weeks. And I finally, and finally, I resume my burnout measure, measurement system, reps. And so again, just go to eugeneh.kim, E-U-G-E-N-E dot h.kim um to find them all and that's maybe where you're listening to this podcast anyway and so back to pamela pamela is an expert on physician suicide a free spirit along for the ride absolutely fascinated by human psychology and culture change and free flowing before pamela dies she wants to experience all the fun stuff of life to eradicate human rights violations in medical training to stop the suicides in medical training uh, she wants male, the male-female to be more complementary, everyone to be vegan, and to help physicians release their full healing potential on the world. When Pamela dies, she wants to reunite with all these doctors on her board and to not be in physical pain. After Pamela dies, she wants to hang out with Greg Madej, Caitlin Okins, to hang out with her dogs, and she wants to play jokes on people. In conclusion, Pamela says, try not to make fear-based decisions. Be in the flow of your power and your truth. You have everything you need inside of you, and all the wisdom already exists in you. The seed of you is there, and you don't really need much, except water, food, and friends, and random people to show up and help it grow. Very great closing words there, Pamela. So, like I said, I met Pamela at a at her keynote uh 
talk at a resiliency summit for physicians um, where she spoke about physician suicide and how we can stop this epidemic. And um, I actually kind of, I was introduced to Pamela because of a commencement speech she gave for a medical uh, school. I think it was the Frank Netter. I forget the exact location of it. Um, and I was like really touched because I think the work that she was doing was very cool. And so I reached out to her uh, through email. And then lo and behold, she gave me a call back. And she was like, hey, I'm actually heading. She lived, she, she uh, has her uh, clinic in her family medicine clinic in uh, Oregon. Um, and I was like, oh, she's so far away. But then she gave me a call and she said, hey, I'm actually flying to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour away from where I am right now. I was like, what are the odds? And so I was like, oh, uh, and I wasn't sure I was going to make it. But then I ended up moving some things around. It was entirely possible. And I went to the uh, Resiliency Summit and I met Pamela. And she gave a very stirring talk on the subject of physician suicide and what we can do about it. Um, and oh boy, it was, it was a great talk. Um, I'm going to link to that talk in the show notes and, um, we, I, we hit it off, um, after the talk and we decided to sit down and record this podcast, which was really, really great. I we hit on some really great topics. Um, and, you know, just to kind of recap some things, like just uh, one term that I'm going to borrow from her for forever, which I think describes me very well is the emotional bungee jumper, which is the like sort of thrill seeking for uh high emotions and just like like let's go deep into the muck and see what happens and what comes out and then that's basically why i have this podcast is i just like sitting down with people and kind of sifting through some intense experiences it's just sort of my that's my thrill seeking and um you know another idea that i got from her is just these uh, you can get a collection a posse of dead friends that kind of follow you around in the best way possible that you just you have these people who are not alive anymore but they're still your friends and um we talk about uh, the the pediatrician's suicide that woke her up to this uh, you know, life's work that she has now, and they really think this is she um, has really given me ownership, uh, like given me almost permission to pursue this topic as a major uh, thing worth talking about. I talk about it with the medical students on the re on the psych floors. Um, I talk about it with the rising fourth years that are going to go into psychiatry. I actually just spoke with them today about it, um, about using Pam some of Pamela's articles as the you know the basis for the conversation of just like let's talk about physician suicide we can talk about wellness we can talk about resiliency that's cool but i think the real thing that we need to be addressing is the fact that doctors are killing themselves um and she lays out some really great reasons why in her talk and we, she also talks about some of the systemic reasons why in this conversation and i also just think she's just such a fascinating human she she has uh, such an interesting uh conversational style i think i wasn't sure if it's just the way pamela is maybe it's the she grew up in pennsylvania Pennsylvania and uh, like I think Philly the Philly area but then she also is just so attracted to the west coast and Oregon specifically the woods and the slowness of it all and I wonder how much of that has affected her and um you know, there's just some times where I kind of jump in and I was just like, oh, no, I should have let her talk more. And she, she has a slower style and I should have, you know, just a, on reflection of that as an interviewer, um, you know, just I'm used to like the fast paced East Coast style. And so it was just fun to talk to somebody that was so laid back and uh, so severely West Coast. <laughs> I hope you forgive me, Pamela, for saying that. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we, we dig into some of the topics about why she is so suited for the work that she does. Uh, she runs a entirely volunteer. She is the um, person that picks up the phone hotline for physicians who are suicidal or medical students who are suicidal. And she also has this uh, amazing 
amazing collection of and database of about 1400 physician suicides and all this information surrounding them and so she can put together these pieces about why why are doctors killing themselves uh, because this is an underreported phenomenon it is something that goes under the table hospitals do not want to talk about the doctors that kill themselves in their hospital systems um, and it's just something that needs to be addressed because if these are the healers of our culture then why are they un- so so severely hurt and damaged that they feel like the only way to go on is to not go on and it's, uh, you know, she she has this book out, um, a, a to Z Human Rights Violations in Medical Training. I think that's the name of it. I'm just going totally off of the hip, Pamela. I'm sorry. I will link it in the show notes for you. Don't you worry. And it's a very, it's a very beautiful action guide on ways for uh, residents and medical students to document the ways that their human rights are being violated um, so that one, so that they can have uh, the, the data, essentially, to uh, have legal recourse against uh, systems that are abusing them. And, you know, her dream is that one day soon, very soon, uh, there will be a class action lawsuit against the hospital system, which will cause uh, a a major shift in the treatment of medical trainees so that hopefully we won't have... uh, we won't have physicians killing themselves anymore. Um, and that's why she released her, uh, you'll, you'll hear it. Anyway, uh, I, I can really talk for a long time about this subject. It really is, is passionate for me because, uh, one thing that I would like to do with my practice as a psychiatrist is to work primarily with healthcare providers. And I'm realizing that more and more I can talk about wellness and all that I want, but I really think that, um, this, this flag of, uh, stopping the, the epidemic of physician suicide is really uh, going to be part of my life's work. Um, and it's, you know, I'm just so glad that Pamela's out there doing this because she's so, she's just so, such a unique human. Uh, the way that she grew up in a morgue, um, talk, like, telling these uh, fanciful stories about the dead people that she sees, uh, set her up to deliver eulogies for dead medical trainees, um, people that she's never met, but being able to be the person give, uh, giving the eulogy to everybody else sort of like set her up for that and then uh these games that she used to play just calling people up on the phone keeping them on the phone for hours just sort of becoming their friend instantly so is has set her up to be a the the a hotline for people who are suicidal and who need somebody to help talk them down and to provide them resources and give them a little bit of hope that things can be different um, she's just a really wonderful human, and I, uh, you know, I don't know how many times I'll be able to meet her in person again. But I'm really glad that I had this opportunity because she has really uh, had an effect on me. Um, and I, you know, things are cool, things are wacky, and uh, you know, things are hard. But I think that those are all not mutually exclusive statements. So. Before I ramble too much more, I want to uh, hand this off to this wonderful conversation with Pamela Weibel on death. All right, it is June 5th, 2019. We're sitting here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at the Eden Resort Hotel, and I'm sitting here with Pamela Weibel, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Pamela, what are the four prompts? I am before I die, when I die, and after I die. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt of I am? I am an expert on physician suicide. And it's been a fascinating journey. <laughs> I can tell. We talked a little bit about that journey already. Um, but what it, how, does it, how does it feel to be one of the experts on physician suicide? It feels like that it should be, there should be a lot of experts on that, right? But I feel like you have a very interesting look at it and a very interesting uh, like data set yeah. as well. 
I don't know. I am somebody that organically fell into this, and I feel like these suicide victims all moved into my house, and they're across <laughs> my wall, and my partner's like, oh my god, they live here. I mean, like, there's this whole sense that they're here, mm-hmm. that they're with me all the time, and kind of like trailing behind, like, I feel like I'm representing, mm-hmm. I'm representing this group. So it's not just... Like a lot of doctors look at life very linearly and with data sets and, you know, all their slides are marked with like footnotes and everything. It's like, I'm just going by what comes to me. And all of these cases have come to me through their remaining family members or friends calling me and telling me all about them. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I know them each on a personal level, Mm -hmm. some like a lot more than others. And so, I don't know, I feel like I have all these sort of dead friends. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? It does. I have a lot of dead friends as well. Oh, okay. You know, it's, there we go. It's part of, I, I feel like it is, um, if you're, as, like, as a medical student, resident, or physician, if you don't have a few dead friends, it's mm-hmm. that almost, to me, is more concerning, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, what, I guess, what does that what do those dead friends feel like to you? Because I know, I know what it feels like to me. Like I have a list of, of patients that have had a strong impact on me that have subsequently died, whether it was themselves or like family members. And I try to remember them on a regular basis. I try to try to think just, just, just if I'm the only person that's remembering their name, that's fine. But I just try to like, remember like their face, just like a little thing about them and that's it. But like, that's at least I like kind of swing back to it. And I wonder you have a literal wall with all these photos. Right. And, um, does it get does it get overwhelming the weight of that like having all those friends does, does yeah. it lift you up like what does it I feel lifted up yeah. I feel like I'm on a I'm on a journey with them it's awesome yeah yeah I mean my partner gets a little worn out because he's like there's too many dead doctors in the house <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you babe but uh, I'll try to take them with me when I go to Pennsylvania so mm-hmm. they're always invited with me wherever I go I just you know, <laughs> sometimes I bring their pictures with me and I set them up in hotel rooms too it's yeah. like the weirdest thing but like they know they're invited mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. Thing. Well, there's like the, the you know there's like the cultural practice within uh, I think me- Mexican culture of like the ofrenda mm-hmm. of having the you know just the photo and I, that's something that uh, my parents uh, my my grandmother recently died and um, my my she's my paternal so my dad had like the photo of her and mm-hmm. it's just very nice you know just having those photos and just having mm-hmm. this there's something different about a photo versus like the written something that they've written um, mm-hmm. but it's just very interesting mm-hmm. and uh, do you remember your first dead friend my first dead friend yeah uh that i ever found out that died or like, like this you know I, that, like the, the you know I, I, i'm thinking of this as like a whole squad that you have like who was uh, the first member of the squad first member of the squad uh as a pediatrician from my town was the first member of the squad yeah mm-hmm he shot himself in a public park. Oh, that was I the was one. at his memorial. Gotcha. And that's when I was like, damn, this is more than him. Mm-hmm. Like, he was the first one. Mm-hmm. That I, he was, like, at his funeral is when, like, my whole life changed. Yeah, would you the tell funeral. me, would you go into that story? Like, because I imagine there are moments in people's lives that are like, 
Like, yeah. like things are different on the other side of that moment. Yeah. You know, it could be like they they got broken up with by, from like a ten year relationship that they thought was gonna go they go everything. You know, and like that's this sounds like a mm-hmm. moment where it's just like, and then yeah, everything's right. different. Yeah, October twenty eighth, twenty twelve, three p.m. Everything's different. Yeah, I'm not the same person. Did, was it? Was it like, dude? Like, did you get the whole body chills and vomit? Or like, what happened? Like, how did I'm that? Sitting in the second row of this memorial service, it was in the YMCA indoor tennis court, which is on the tennis court where he and his wife used to play tennis. So it Jeez. was like significant to him because that's their date night thing or one oh. of their date things, right? And I don't know that their marriage was going necessarily so perfectly. I mm. think they might have, I don't know, might have been in the middle of a divorce or something at the time. But whatever, mm. it was still like kind of a special spot. Like I he guess, literally for, put sweat there. Yeah, it was a special spot that meant something to him and his current wife at the time he died. Even though I think he had a girlfriend or whatever and he was on his way out of that marriage and Jeez. it was his second marriage. But anyway, and he has five kids. Okay. Jeez. And so, I don't know, I was sitting at this memorial behind all of them, and I'm kind of like an emotional bungee jumper. Like, I love being around emotional scenes, probably because of the weird way I was raised with my dad. Mm. But parents are physicians, and I went to work with my mom as a psychiatrist at the mental hospital, and I went to work with my dad at the morgue and at the methadone clinic where he saw the addicts. So whatever, I mean, the point is, like, I have a high tolerance for sort of bizarre and usual people and behavior, and so whatever. I was in my element at this memorial. That didn't freak me out. I just was, like, wondering why it was two days after I had published a book on uh, kind of like a chicken soup for the soul guide for doctors to have like joy and happiness in their lives it's called pet goats and pap smears <laughs> it's very funny but it was two days after that that this guy died by suicide so I was like what I just wrote a book to help doctors be happy and then another doctor died by suicide. And so I was like, oh, my God, I think it's going to take more than a book. Mm-hmm. You know, like something else is going on here. So I just felt like I had to go to his memorial. Mm-hmm. When I went there, it was just the biggest wake-up call ever. First of all, it felt like I was in an underground tomb. I was surrounded by all these people that were whispering why, but nobody would say suicide out loud. There was a fluorescent light above us that was flickering. The whole thing was, like, really weird. It felt like a haunted house. Although I wasn't freaked out, but it felt like it felt, it felt like everyone was checked out, like everyone was sort of like numb mm-hmm. and uh, detached. But I was like in the why question, and I was just like looking around at everyone, thinking, why did this happen? Like why did it happen, and why is nobody saying it out loud? And why am I the only one thinking of it? And I just started putting together like the whole why, and then I started counting how many doctors I knew that had died by suicide or, you know, suspicious deaths that could have been suicide, mm-hmm. and I knew 10. And within five minutes, I had named 10 people that I knew that had died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And, I, like, I couldn't start counting on my toes. Like, I didn't have a piece of paper, you know, whatever. I just had 10 fingers, and I was like, I stopped and got over, got sort of, like, then I got into this investigative reporter mode. Like, I had to find out why. Mm-hmm. Because so many of my friends are dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a big wake-up call. Jeez. Then I had to leave the memorial early because I was leading a physician retreat that night, which had nothing Jeez. to do with suicide and everything to do with business strategy and opening <laughs> your own practice. So I got to the retreat, which was a two-hour drive into the mountains, and when I got there, I asked the doctors at the retreat, because I was obsessed now with suicide, I said, how many of you have lost a colleague to suicide? And every single hand was raised. Mm-hmm. 
And then I said, how many of you have considered suicide? And everyone's hand was up except for one female nurse practitioner. Jeez. Including my hand, you know, was up because I've been suicidal and I've lost friends to suicide. So I think I then understood that this was like an epidemic. Mm-hmm. You know, like if everyone you know has lost somebody and you lost 10 of your friends to suicide, it's got to be an epidemic. Mm-hmm. It's not just me. You know. yeah, it's not just a weak person. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, there's, right. so, there's something on a systemic and yeah. cultural level that is just that's creating funneling people into death. Yeah, right. So that's it. And both the men that I dated in medical school died by suicide. They were two of the ten. Jeez. Not while I was dating them, but like when they were married. Mm-hmm. One was 39, one was 44. Leaving their wives and young children behind. So, like... like I just basically want to know why all my friends are dying. Mm-hmm. Why are my friends... Like, I think that's natural. Why are my, why are all my friends killing themselves? Mm-hmm. That's my question. I think that's very real. Que- this is a very good question. Yeah, you know, because one thing that why I was, are they all doctors? Yeah, you know, it's like, like shouldn't shouldn't this be the ones? Yeah. Like, does anyone notice anything weird here? All these doctors are dying. Mm-hmm. Very weird. It is weird. It's very weird. And mm-hmm. like I told you earlier, like when I was sitting in my graduation, I was like, I'm 100 percent not going to see everyone here alive again. You know, that is weird. You know, it's just That's like a weird thought. Weird thought. It was like somebody here. I know it. I know in my bones that somebody here is going to commit suicide within four years. Did you hear what I said at the commencement speech about? Yes, we're holding hands. Like holding yeah. hands and look up at your parents. Mm-hmm. That must have been anyone, real weird. <laughs> don't let any parents get a call from the police that their child has died mm-hmm. by suicide in residency. Yeah, I didn't. I only heard the audio. How did that land in the audience? It was really good. Yeah, like the whole the whole thing landed really, really well. I saw some people up in the stands like crying, but it was a combination of like, of course, joy and mm, yeah, the graduation. Know, like, yeah. There's just so many different emotions going on mm. at a graduation of medical mm. school. It's yeah, but no, I thought it it landed. It all landed really weird, uh, mm. really good. But it's just because I went. I gave them small little snippets of topics that they could hang on to. Like then some were like funny and some were like powerful and like the overall message message was unity and, and mm. love each other, you know, and be mm. brothers and sisters in medicine. So. Yeah. And yeah. that's something that I'm str- like, personally I'm struggling with. Cause it's like, okay, I'm going into this intern year. Uh, we, I got a list of like the hundred incoming, uh, interns and fellows. And it's like, how many of these people are going to commit suicide, mm-hmm. you know, by the end of this, by the end of their training, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, uh, Andrew, I thought you only had four. In oh, in class. my program. Yes. But in the, like for the whole health network, like oh. intern residents. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, uh, is like, can I, Eugene, an intern psychiatrist do anything, you know? Yeah, like, you can, you know, and that's the, yeah, you could reach out to them all and say, Hey, I'm here if you want to talk. Mm-hmm. And I've got a lot of tricks up my sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> that is something I could say. Yeah. And that, that is something that I'm like dab because just it's give like. Give your phone number and be like, hey, I just want you to know. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And like, especially if you have a personal story to attach to it. Like, if you lost somebody that you knew to suicide, mm-hmm. or did you, somebody mm-hmm. that you know, but a friend of a friend lost Friend of a friend, yeah. Well, you could share that. Like, you know, I was really impacted. My friend lost her fiance or whatever right mm-hmm. or I just heard Dr. Pamela Weibel's talk and there's 1300 doctors you know like some personal experience of having realized that this is a problem mm-hmm. and just saying I just want you all to know like right from the get-go like this is my phone number and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a commitment to be available to anyone who needs to talk 24 7 while I'm awake mm-hmm. during my residency <laughs> so mm-hmm. like let me know yeah 
I think I'll do that. It just, you know, that like little bit of, uh, they probably don't call you, but like once people start, like if somebody starts and has like, a, like trust you and all mm-hmm. that, like then they'll just tell more people. Mm-hmm. Eugene saved my life. Yeah. He called me back mm-hmm. when I was suffering at midnight. Yeah. I actually, yeah, I fielded a, one call right? like that. Yeah. It was a wacky thing, but uh-huh. it was, uh, you know, on the other side of it, it was like, that was a very weird way to spend an evening, but mm-hmm. I think one of the better ways that I've spent evenings, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in the same way that you described, you get like, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. like, oh shit, I, that's, that might have saved a life, you know? Yeah. You don't know, but it's like, well, I'm pretty sure, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't, this whole topic of physician suicide is so, uh, we can, I, we can talk, I think, the whole time about Probably. it. Probably. You know? Um, and I think that there that it is worth talking about the whole time. However, I want to, you know, bring it back to you. Okay. You know, because I think that there are other ways that we're going to touch back on this in the later on in this conversation. And but one thing I do want to bring up back a, a thread of you being raised by a psychiatrist and a pathologist, or like he only worked as a pathologist mm-hmm. for a little while, right? Well, he worked as a pathologist most of his career. Oh, okay, gotcha. He was, like, GP before I was born, oh, you know? But they didn't have family medicine back then. He graduated in 1948. Jeez. You know? Oh, he went okay. and opened his own clinic in the 1950s and 60s. I was born in 67, mm. summer of love. <laughs> and so the thing is that, like, I only knew my dad as a pathologist. Gotcha. Because that's what he was doing when I was little. Mm-hmm. And the methadone clinic doing, like, and the oh, breathalyzer yeah. thing, you know, like, yeah. and addiction medicine, you know. So, but that was a side gig. Mm-hmm. His addiction stuff was a side gig. His main job was pathologist. Gotcha. And uh, a question that I like to ask is, uh, was there a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood? Jewish, but I didn't really. I mean, we went to relatives' houses for stuff. But okay. It wasn't like... I guess I did go to Hebrew school the first two years, so that okay. was kind of hardcore. Okay. That was... But I like public school better. It's easier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it okay. demanding. Okay. I had too many books to carry home in first grade from Hebrew school. <laughs> it was like a lot of work. <laughs> okay. I need some free time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it sounds like then like a more of a, th- a thread was that being raised in like offices, like medical... like. Do, hospital. At, yeah, at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Eating being, out of the vending machines. Yeah. Chocolate, Snickers bars. So, you know. <laughs> what was... Dead people. Yeah. What is that? What was this experience like? I know you can't... It's hard for a fish to describe what it's like to be in the ocean, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, what was... It was awesome. It yeah. was the best thing ever. I love going to the morgue with my dad. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, like, he'd open up the big coolers. He'd try to make it fun. Mm-hmm. You know? The big stainless steel door. Yeah. And he'd be like... Hello, good morning. Is anyone home? Like he'd be talking to his dead patients. Okay. And then he'd pull them out and introduce me to them by name. Mm-hmm. And then I would talk to them. Oh. And I'd make up all these crazy stories. <laughs> try to convince my dad that they were all like heroic, you know, like superheroes. Mm-hmm. You know, child, childhood imaginations. Yeah. 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 That's mm. super cool. But they were all like inner city Philadelphia, probably poor people. Oh, jeez. Who died prematurely due to life circumstances Mm -hmm. anyway in my mind I made them all like amazing yeah yeah isn't that interesting it's a very interesting like uh yeah that is very interesting yeah like the youthful like exuberance and imagination and applied to this cold body Uh uh-huh you know what is to most people a very uh 
negative environment, and then you mm. just turn it into this wonderful playground. Yeah, it was, it was a playground. Yeah. I learned a lot. Mm. He had a whole jar full of bullets and other stuff he pulled out of people that he always let me look at. Jeez. IUDs and different things, hip replacement, you know, like all sorts of foreign body stuff pulled yeah. out of autopsies. Jeez. Yeah, huge jar. He had a bunch of jars of like um, fetuses, you know, like all different, oh, things, which wow. I used to stare at. He had brought them home. They were sitting like cross-legged, like in jars. And I used Jeez. to like stare at them. Wow. I thought that was super cool. Like everything was awesome. Did you have... So amazing. He'd bring home, like, all different body parts. Yeah, there was a human heart in a plastic tub on top of our television while watching cartoons as a kid. Oh, jeez. But it was all normal. Yeah. He just brought stuff home. Body parts from all different kinds of people. Did you have any, like, while you were growing up, uh, perspective on, like, this is a, uh, this is relatively unusual? or no, like you, I thought it was all normal. Everyone was like, you were just like, this is cool, this is fine. Yeah, this is, right, totally legit. How do you think, uh, in what ways has this framed your perspective on life and death and, like, moving forward? Like, how do you, like, I imagine... I think the whole thing's amazing and fun and I'm not afraid of death. And I think, like, it's so cool, like, what we're made out of. And I think it's amazing that I spent all this time with my dad around dead people and nobody bothered us, and it was like a secret clubhouse just for us. I felt like that was our secret clubhouse. Mm. Like, do not disturb. Mm. Who's going to go down there? Mm. I brought my boyfriend, like, from college <laughs> to meet my dad in the morgue. And I was like, so what did you think of him? And my dad's like, he's a nice specimen. You know, like, just <laughs> yeah. the way my dad, you yeah. know, set talk. Like, yeah. just your, the reality check on life when you're around death all the time. Mm. And plus he's like so joyful. He loves being a, a, a pathologist. Mm -hmm. So if you love what you do, like... I think a lot of people have a fear of death just because whatever, I guess, like you lose connection with things that you like, like your dog and your family and your house and you're going somewhere else and maybe that's scary. But, mm -hmm. um, but if you're around or, or a lot of people like death related to whatever car accidents, war, like scary scenes. Right. So I think children learn to react like the reactions around death are molded by the reactions of the adults around yes. death. So yes. if you're around a guy who's just a friggin' studious little absent-minded professor loves his job type dad, who's in the <laughs> morgue all the time, like and weighing stuff and mm -hmm. playing with all sorts of things that look fun for kids, mm -hmm. plastic containers and running water and all sorts of weird instruments and you know like it looks sort of like a playground mm -hmm. i mean it's not just like boring like mm -hmm. sitting in a cubicle office it's not like a, yeah. yeah it's not like so anyway like i just thought man this is fun because he thought it was fun you mm -hmm. know it's like the contagiousness of like your attitude towards your work mm -hmm. if you love your job like everyone around you is like gonna love being your patient and gonna love following you around because mm. like you have a joy about it that's how he was isn't that cool that is cool i love being in the morgue with him yeah and i think that you i i see at least shades of that joy in your work now yeah like you're so lit up by it and it's uh, it's like, very isn't that cool. weird i'm lit up by suicide that's weird. It is weird. Yeah, like there are this weirder guy things out there. called me to interview me about Dr. Suicide from, I don't know, Czechoslovakia or wherever. We were doing like a, he said he had six pages of questions. And because of the time difference, we started at like 11 p.m. Pacific time, my time, but I'm a total night owl. And he said, like, if you need to stop and we, I can call you another time and we can do the second part of the interview later. I was like, are you kidding? 
suicide brings me like alive. Like I could talk about suicide for like <laughs> hours. Everyone's like, doesn't this debilitate you? No. Mm. How could it debilitate me? First of all, it's like the most amazing topic ever because somebody in the prime of their life decided to end their life. If that's not like a fascinating situation that you could discuss mm -hmm. forever, I don't know what is, mm -hmm. you know, like God, what, le like, that's like, there's so many different facets to just one person's suicide. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at the whole fact that we don't even know what happens after we die, like that's the whole other thing. It's like, where are they now? I think it's like, it's the most, I can't, even hardly do any normal mundane stuff anymore. <laughs> like everything seems dull after this topic. You know what I mean? Like what color sheet should I put on the bed? What should I order from menu? I can't even like just regular things just seem so um, Is it like an unimportant and weird. Because I'm always I think I'm naturally just a free flight, like um, free spirit existential thinker. So mm -hmm. like mundane tasks are really weird. <laughs> like just even I don't know, like eating, like just regular stuff that people do. Like, I don't know. Like, like the small I'm talk. So, yeah. I can't do small talk. I'm mm, so I can tell. <laughs> taken away on this topic. It's like my turned into something way bigger. I don't mm. know how to explain it. but yeah. Well, I think that there's this, this aspect of like, uh, you, you're, it's not, I wouldn't call it like an adrenaline junkie, but you're, you're what you, I call it emotional bungee jumping. Yeah, like that. It's like you're you're very com and I and I have this aspect too. That's kind I of why I have tell. this po podcast. You know, yeah, right. it's just like yeah, let's let's do it. You know, and yeah. uh, I think that that's something that we share in that way. Mm -hmm. It's just like yeah, like yeah. let's go really weird into this. Yeah, like sure. I don't know you. I'll come to your hotel room and we'll interview you for two hours. Yeah, whatever. Like you're just kind of a go with the flow. And whatever happens. Yeah. And you're not afraid of the unknown, obviously, <laughs> from stuff that you've done. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're probably not afraid of death either. I have it. It has Maybe now changed. that you have a child. That, exactly. That's what I mean. It's changed. Before you had a child. Before I had the kid, before I had uh, the, the lady with, in my life, it was very like, I was cool with it, you know? Uh -huh. But now that these other layers of attachments have set uh -huh. in, it's change okay. dramatically okay. but it, I'm still trying to shed it every day okay. every day I'm like you know working on it a little okay. bit and uh what about your mother's uh with her psychiatric practice at the state hospital back when those were a thing um like did she have a similar level of joy in her life and and like her practice of medicine was it different uh totally different she's a different personality than my dad I think yeah She's, like, fascinated with psychiatry, but she's not, like, maybe as joyful about it as my dad really loved. Oh, my dad totally loved being with live patients and interviewing. He sort of missed the live patients a little oh, bit, so he got back into addiction medicine. Oh, that makes and sense. And worked at the methadone clinic. And, like, I mean, with the drunk driver comes in, also at the jail, he interviewed, like, all these drunk drivers coming in, like, all night long in our little cinder lock room. And, like, I mean, he wouldn't just process them, like, a by-the-book cubicle mm -hmm. worker like he'd literally be like oh what time did you start drinking oh what bar did you go to what kind of car did you drive like he'd be in all different areas that had nothing to do with processing them exactly yeah. just but like he was raw just curiosity going straight into like their life mm -hmm. and do they have kids and this like i was just amazed i love the whole thing mm -hmm. yeah i love the fact that you could meet some crazy stranger and have a talk with him till like two in the morning in a jail cell. And I thought that was fun. 
too. Yeah. And then, I don't know. So my mom was like more just doing her job. Mm. Not so much joy. <laughs> but the patients were really interesting. Yeah? Yeah. You know, like being in a state hospital is watching as a little kid, like watching people just like do all their kind of like, you know, ticks and ticks weirdness, and weird and movements, and yeah. like stuff. You know, for a little kid, it was mm. like really interesting. Huh. And then, what was your path to medicine? My path? Yeah. How, like, did they did they dissuade you? Did they encourage you? Uh, why did you end up going into yeah, family? Yeah, they dissuaded me. Yeah. Yeah. But I went into family medicine. I, I mean, I was destined to do this. I was born to do this. I believe we choose our parents before we're born, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I think I chose them because I wanted, like, two wounded physician parents to, like, grow up around, mm-hmm. take notes. and yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I was destined to med- go to medical school the whole time. And then I chose family medicine just because, like, it was the broadest specialty that didn't leave any organ system or any person out. Like, mm-hmm. I had trouble thinking of narrowing like I couldn't I wanted to be like a change agent for the world and like to help and heal everyone so I couldn't just do peds or just do one thing mm-hmm. it would just be uh, too much of a limitation yeah yeah, yeah. so that's why I did family medicine that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah and the, with family it's like it gives you the most pers- the most almost agency to be able to investigate this physician suicide it, versus like if you were like a, just a pathologist mm-hmm. not not you know not to denigrate uh-huh. denigrate but just to say like it, you have like that like the the, the whole picture the whole picture yeah yeah it's a very whole whole picture whole very person yeah and the other thing that I was told is like by my therapist she's like yeah it's a good thing you're a family doc because if you did this as a psychiatrist you'd have more potential legal repercussions you know what I mean because we ran a suicide hotline Mm. as a psychiatrist and you had somebody die or some bad outcome or whatever people would interpret it as you being professionally on the hook Mm -hmm. but I'm just doing this like as a listening friend empathy tent situation Mm -hmm. and then like I can recommend other people depending on your situation that Mm -hmm. you can talk to but I'm not doing it like professionally as a doctor yeah I'm doing it more as like hey I'm your friend and you can call me Mm -hmm. if you're having trouble in residency and I'll answer the phone at midnight and we can talk about whatever Mm -hmm. yeah it's fun Oh, and weirdly, yeah. I just talked to my friend about this, um, who I love so much, this acupuncturist, who is a physician from China, actually, but they did not allow her to practice medicine in the U.S., so she's having to be an acupuncturist here, but she's basically a doctor mm-hmm. and able to use her MBBS. And um, I just told her this the other day. I was like, hey, because we got along immediately and became sort of, like, really close, and... Um, and, I, and, she, and she's sort of similar to me, like, super outgoing and can be friends with everyone and can have, like, three-hour conversations on the phone and we just met, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, in high school, so this is before cell phones, we only had landlines, mm-hmm. it was in the 80s. Um, I had a thing with my friend that we used to, like, see how long we could stay on the phone with a stranger, like, that we would pick out of the phone book. Mm-hmm. Like, we would do this together as yeah. a thing. okay. So I would, like, you know, the phone book, yeah, before yeah. Google, before, like, landlines, right? And I would pick somebody out of there, and I would literally stay on the phone with a stranger for, like, two or three hours. Really? Like, a total stranger. And I'm really good at, like, calling <laughs> people up who I don't know and becoming friends with them. Yeah. Isn't that funny? That is very funny. Yeah. So that's the thing is like I 
am probably like endlessly fascinated with people and I have to hear like the whole story. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. Kinda I mean, weird. it's great for family doc, yeah. you know, and it's, uh, I think it lends you very well to the, everything that you've dove into mm-hmm. at first. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. So I want to ask two questions. One is about this game that you played, and the other is about your current spiritual beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so for this game that you played as a kid, uh, what did you make? What uh, Was there like a technique that you utilized or like a attack that you would take to kind of, or what is it, was it entirely other person dependent? And you're like, whatever they give me, I'm going to work around and figure it out? Or? I mean, I think I randomly did it at the beginning one way, but I came up with a method that really worked for me. And the method was always like, pretend like you knew them from high school. Like I oh. always was like, hey, I think I sat behind you in, you know, social studies or whatever. You okay. know what I mean? And they'd be like, what? Like, what? And I would just pretend like I was <laughs> like, I knew them from high school, but I never, but I was scared to talk to you or whatever. Okay. I'd make up a okay. thing, you know, yeah. and they'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Because chances are, if you randomly call somebody, they're probably like older than 18, mm. you know, especially in the phone book, because mm. that means like they have their own place, phone number yeah, or yeah, place or whatever, yeah. right? So I did that, like, and that, but the thing that really was the magic formula was that type of beginning question and picking out a name from the phone book that was definitely like a black man. Like, <laughs> I could keep black men talking forever. Yeah. And it wasn't sexual or anything, it was just like I could get them. I think it was because I was in the jail with my dad and he was mostly processing black drunk drivers Mm -hmm. men and so like I just got really into like how you can have conversations a really long time with people who are like not like super linear serious and more like spiritual free flow Mm -hmm. they're sort of a a more spiritual free flow group Mm -hmm. you know compared to some so I'd always pick a name like out of the phone book that was like high likelihood of blackmail so it would have to be like the common like Washington Jackson whatever slave last name and then the like Tyrone or Mm. you know whatever first name so Mm -hmm. and I was in Dallas Texas so if I found a Tyrone Jackson I know I could stay on the phone with him for three hours (laughs) (laughs) isn't that funny that is very funny yeah that was my technique I like this I haven't really thought about it for until recently when I was telling my friend Teddy how I did this it's a yeah. great technique. Yeah. I can and see And then that. I would also go on, uh, take the city bus in Dallas where I grew up mm. to, um, and I would sit next to total strangers, which in Dallas, like it takes forever to get anywhere because Texas is a big state. So it's like, if you sit down next to a stranger on the bus, you're probably going to be sitting next to him for 30 minutes or more. Mm. So it would be like, I could have all these great conversations. I would get on the bus and I'd mm. be like, who do I want to have a conversation with? <laughs> and I would go sit next to them. Oh, interesting. That was so much fun too. This is like before social media. I don't know. I think social media and all this stuff has sort of changed, like people's ability to have these types of conversations. Because I don't know if you know this, but this is the statistic statistic that I've been told is that that you know the average attention span of a human being now. No. I was told it's eight seconds, Mm -hmm. which is like less than a goldfish. They say (laughs) like a goldfish can stare in one direction for nine seconds before turning around and trying to go another direction, right? But Mm -hmm. because of social media and stuff, like people are like speedy Mm -hmm. and not able to focus for Mm -hmm. like the average. And looking for the next thing. Yeah, Yeah. for the average attention span, like when I was in high school in the eighties, was twenty minutes. Oh, that's back when like you could sit without getting interrupted and have like a long conversation with somebody, and it was okay. I don't know if it would be as easy for me to have a three-hour conversation with Tyrone Jackson today. Oh. It just kind of depends. Also depends if they're married, because you certainly don't want to keep somebody on the phone with a strange woman for three hours if they're married. <laughs> it's true. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm just sort of banking on that they were home alone. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what Isn't that funny? Interesting game. Before caller ID. Yeah. They couldn't really track you back. Yeah. You know. That's so funny. Yeah. All right. I'm just fascinated by this, and uh, it's just so interesting. Like, what? Uh, how often would you play this game? Like, like all the time. Really? Was, yeah. was this like your like? This is this was. I your probably recreation? came up with it. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. I don't think it was her thing. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I'm gonna ask you more about this. See, later. so that's why people are like, "Well, how could you suicide hotline?" Is like, I could talk to anyone. Like, if yeah. somebody, especially if somebody calls me. I could definitely keep them for three hours. I could keep them, yeah. Like, they probably don't want to stay on the phone as long as I would stay on the phone with them if I had all the time in the world, mm. you know. But, yeah. like, I love I love how, like, you never know what's going to happen next. I never know who's going to email me. I could mm. be on the phone with any number of people in the whole world, even Canada or wherever. Mm. Like, I end up on the phone with people in other countries who... <sighs> Like, this last week, I was on the phone with somebody who had Asperger's, who's, like, super high-functioning, but getting bullied as a medical student in Quebec. Oh, that was such an interesting conversation. I had to sort of break things down and be, like, a little bit less free-flow and more, like, like linear, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But it was a really interesting conversation, and I hooked him up with, like, a good triage person that could help oh. him with solving his bullying mm-hmm. issue, you know? But, yeah, everything's, like, it's all different. It's all... I love, like, never knowing what's going to happen next and never knowing who I'm going to have, like, an amazing conversation with next. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Has, it, has this been, like, a personality trait of yours since the very... It kind of sounds like it's been there in some shape or form from yeah, the very beginning. from the very beginning. Have, has there been... I don't know. Like, I don't... Can you even cultivate that unless you kind of have it with you? Like, do you... Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, uh... What... Are there uh, were there times where you went away from this practice in you of of being open to the present, being open to like, ha- being making connections with people out of the blue? It was weird. I had a time when I was super shy and I wouldn't even say here when they called roll. Oh yeah. In school in fourth grade, third grade. Mm-hmm. The teacher would call roll and I wouldn't say anything because I was shy. Oh. I don't know how that happened. My friend would be like, "She's here," and then the teacher <laughs> would be like, "Oh, is she shy again this year?" And my friend would be like, "Yeah, she's shy again." Mm. How did that happen? Because I can't shut up now. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I couldn't shut up in the morgue. I guess there were places that I was really comfortable, and there were other places where I wasn't so sure, like, what was going on or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I was comfortable with my dad, and I was comfortable in the morgue, and I was comfortable at the jail, and I don't know, but then, like, regular stuff kind of weirded me out at school. Yeah. And also, it sounds like I being at home and your and being on the receiving end of this hotline, you, it's like you because you're in this comfortable place, you can kind of yeah. take whatever. Yeah. I mean, whatever. as an adult, I've always been the same. Like, okay. I've been fifth grade onward, I've always been sort of an extroverted maniac, <laughs> basically, after my parents got divorced. And okay. I knew I'd defend for myself, and I was living with my mom, and she's not, like, super maternal, so I had to, like, fend for myself. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So what, uh, I guess... What, so so there are a couple threads that I'm, I'm seeing, and I don't know how to chase these down, and I don't know if you'll be able to help me with your free flow, and, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's the thread of the death of your father, which I, I don't know the state it of your mother. was 91. 91. Yeah. And so that was relatively... 2014. 2014. So that was like a couple of years ago. Um, and then there's this thread of um, your current spirituality. And then there's this thread of this, of the divorce and, and staying with your mother who is not a maternal figure. And so yeah. I don't know, like, do you see a thread there that we can chase throughout the whole thing? Or is this just uh, one by one go through it? Uh, yeah, well, the spirituality thing, 
Like, what is like, your? Like, I don't cur- follow any one religion. Mm-hmm. I just believe that life goes on sort of forever in different formats. So it's just kind of if your physical body dies, your spirit's still there, and it's just wherever it wants to go next. I guess it could reincarnate. It could free flow. I don't know. I mean, I guess I just have to experience it once I die. But mm-hmm. like these dead doctors interact with me, some of them, so I know they're still. Like floating around. they're floating, you know, and participating. Mm-hmm. And actually, my dad's been um, organizing things for me lately. I think he got me the speaking event. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He like shows up at my therapy sessions and he's taking notes and he's super studious. And yeah, I think he's sort of making amends for not being there for five years of my childhood when I got kidnapped by my mom, even though she lost custody of us and she kidnapped me and my brother and I didn't see my dad for five years, which is terrible because see, I had this whole like idealized secret clubhouse life with him in the morgue mm-hmm. and then starting at age nine I didn't see him till I was like 13. Oh jeez. So that was like really messed up. So on my MMPI, do you know about that? Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, it's like this psych test. Mm-hmm. It always shows that like I had a death of a parent before the age, before the age of nine or something. Really? So okay. like my psychology is set up where like I have this endless longing for my father Mm. the child part of me Mm -hmm. right has this insatiable i miss my dad thing Mm -hmm. but as an adult i feel great and i sort of feel like he's still with me Mm -hmm. but it's like that he follows me around like the shape that has kind of like yeah it was weird i think that sort of like created a a weird dynamic where maybe i wanted to be more like him and i idealized him more Mm because he wasn't around Mm mm-hmm and then it made my mom seem worse. Oh, interesting. You know, because she was like, stole me. Mm-hmm. And she's not emotionally attached. She's not spiritual. She wouldn't even let me call her mom. I had to call her Judith. She's like, don't call me mom. Judith. You know what I mean? Like, not maternal. Really weird. Not maternal. Yeah, that's very not maternal. That's yeah. like, oh. That's hardcore not maternal. That's hardcore not maternal yeah. for having kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. Like, geez. Yeah, she's like, don't call me Oh, wow. Okay. It gives you a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know where so to go. So I would from. say, like, I had, like, a neglected childhood with two physician parents who were workaholics and not super emotionally attached. My dad would say all the right things. Like, he'd say, I love you. and But, like, I didn't always feel it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when somebody's just going through the motions of being a parent mm-hmm. versus really, like, all eyes on you, full attention. Mm-hmm. Like, I always felt like he was somewhat distracted because he's an absent-minded professor type yeah. of a guy. Okay. And also, I think he's a little bit motivated by um, always being a good worker bee and being, like, a good boy. Like, he has to always come off as being, like, good. Mm-hmm. Like, getting goals. You know, so I think he has a little bit of... I think both my parents have safety issues. And my mom was just... Grew up in a... Probably, like, in, there was incest in her childhood and all sorts of weird things and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, her... My great-grandfather, like, was the head of the Ku Klux Klan in the Indiana. I mean, like, it was really weird oh, stuff. Weird you know stuff. what I mean? Like, yeah. really weird stuff on my mom's side that was kind of, like, mm-hmm. just... Totally, just kind of trickle down and totally trickle you know. down into sort of dysfunction and like mm. and my mom's not even like heterosexual like so she doesn't even like men like she just wanted to get pregnant and oh, have kids so it was like the whole thing is like I'm with like sort of an angry lesbian woman who's a psychiatrist who hates men and, and like then the I have <laughs> my like really awesome dad that's wandering around the morgue with so mm. it was like okay 
I'll just make the best that I can out of the situation. But essentially, like if you have physician parents who are workaholics, you're sort of a neglected child yes. by, by definition. Mm. But then if they're like emotionally detached, which they both are to different degrees, different extents, you mm. know, like my therapist told me once my dad sort of lived his life as if he was like an observer of it. Like he wasn't actually living in him, so he was observing himself. Mm. Like he was so in his head that it was all observation. You know what I mean? So he took a lot of notes. I have his <laughs> diaries from, from when he was 13 and stuff, and it's all like lots of notes and lots of detail, mm. right? But I don't know that he was like fully emotionally present ever. Mm. You know what I mean? And my mom is like just emotionally detached and wounded from weird shit in her childhood, so she's not like emotionally available. And then being a psychiatrist, like she just come home and smoke pot every night and not be like available, mm. you know, because she was just worn out from seeing stuff or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I was like sort of like left alone a lot. Mm -hmm. So if you're left alone a lot, like you go into your own panel land, which is <laughs> where like I live, right, mm -hmm. in my own sort of happy world, where I just yeah, I don't know. That's does that make sense? Like, I created my own world that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Maybe that... Maybe most people do that, but... Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. But at different stages and with different, uh, with different like, blocks and landscapes. Like, it's mm -hmm. just, like, kind of whatever. Because you, you don't... No one ever really leaves childhood unscathed. And so it's just, what with what landscape do you have to work with is mm -hmm. the question. And you had a very specific one with that, with that upgrading. You know, it's just... And I think it's also very interesting that you use the present tense for some of your father's traits. You know, like it's not. Oh, I always speak about dead people in the present tense, and it really upsets other people. Yeah. Who said, like, it upsets my ex husband who would be like, why are you talking about your grandmother in the present tense? Okay. Well, she's still having impact on my life. I'm still having a relationship with her, so why wouldn't I? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't really see death as past tense, mm -hmm. which is a problem for most people. Because mm -hmm. then they get confused. Mm -hmm. Is your dad still alive? Yeah, he's. I feel like he's here right now. Well, and that's something that I wanted to touch back to you because this is this is an experience that I've, I've had shades of, of of not. I, I don't know if I'd call it ghosts, but they're just presences that are just mm -hmm. there. Then they, they have different uh, like layers of complexity to them. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder, do you think that you've had a sensitivity to these experiences from the beginning? Was it honed by, you know, hanging out with a lot of dead people? It's like all, like, just the whole it, it all recipe. builds on each other. Yeah. It was awesome. Like, the whole thing was a setup. Mm -hmm. Like, I was totally <laughs> set up to deal with doctor suicides. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else to say. Like, it was not a decision. It wasn't my decision. Mm -hmm. They all fell in my lap. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. I'm just a channel. Yeah, you don't have to work very hard because it's no, all, comes all very coming. easy to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. So I, uh, I think we covered those beats, those three beats that I talked about. Um, and I wonder, is there anything else on that list of I am? That you can, oh, that, the I am. Yeah. Mm, I'm a free spirit. I am like along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> I am absolutely fascinated with human psychology. I'm fascinated by culture change and how groups of people shift their thinking or get stuck. Like, I love sort of 
system psychology, like the psychology of multiple people, like group, group, like group level or like oh yeah, yeah like the whole thing, individual and like people mm -hmm. in a group. I love how like um, some people were like not in to me in this topic, and now they pretend like they're my best friends. That's so funny because they like disinvited me to things in the past. I oh, love, interesting. I love how I'm getting kicked out of physician. Uh, Facebook groups because they think some of the things I talk about are too like inflammatory mm -hmm. but I'm just like telling the truth of my experience from listening to all these calls on suicide hauling like I love how um, I just love the whole thing like I'm endlessly fascinated with it the thing is that I one of my favorite quotes, which I came up with, is I love conflict. It's apathy that kills me. So anything <laughs> that makes people have a sudden type of emotion, even if it's like kicking you out of a Facebook group, I find like totally fascinating. Like I save all the emails I get kicking me out of groups and banning my book. And, mm -hmm. and I'm just like, this is so interesting. Because like, it's causing some level of emotional reaction. Yeah, it's like you're having... It's like hitting a, something, you're some like nerve. having an incredible emotional reaction to me. And I'm like basically a really loving person that's all about like healing and uniting people mm -hmm. by speaking the truth. And something about the truth of what I've just written <laughs> has made you so upset that you want to kick me out of this mm -hmm. group. I don't know. I think that's all fascinating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think as this project and as your work progresses, it's only going to get like higher level, and it's going to express itself in that in different ways. Just like the. And I'm not even mad. Like yeah. if somebody kicks me out of a Facebook group, I'm just like, that's so sad. The Facebook group is called Physicians Healing Physicians, and I got kicked out because I said something that was like anti-burnout, mm. like that I explained, you know, that burnout has that term, even though it has a legitimate definition that people believe in, mm -hmm. that I don't necessarily think is ultimately that helpful at getting to the root of the problem of what disturbs most physicians. However, mm -hmm. like I accept it as a definition. I just think if it applies to everyone and all workers, it's probably not specific enough to deal with what's causing physicians to be off the bell curve mm -hmm. on it, you know? But like, because whatever people in the group were super into burnout and the woman that runs the group like did a bunch of research on burnout like I guess she was personally threatened that I had a different opinion and I didn't even like voice this in any certain way somebody wrote uh somebody wrote a question on the Facebook page like what word can we use instead of burnout like that was a question and a million people chimed in with all sorts of variations of abuse like all sorts of synonyms of abuse mm -hmm. And I just put human rights violation. Bang. Not like, I was the one selected out of the group, you mm -hmm. know, because I'm self-promoting. Because mm -hmm. you're making money off of human suffering. I've never charged a doctor anything for thousands of hours of phone calls. You know what I mean? It's really interesting. I know the whole thing is fascinating. I love it. I love it. I just think I'm on, like, the best topic ever. Or is there some level of that, like, observer observing in, in you, do you feel like? Or are you, like, do you feel very present in all of this madness? I can probably drift into observer observing, but I'm mostly present. Yeah. I guess, like, it helps to relieve the burden of everything. Like, you could get overwhelmed with the sheer volume of 
grief and mm-hmm. that stuff coming to you. So when I walk through the woods by my house, it's like I just, it all goes away mm-hmm. into the trees and the sky. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not mm-hmm. holding on to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else on that list of I am? Yeah, I'm totally free flow, meaning I have nothing on my schedule and every week is completely white. Yeah? Yeah, and so I just do whatever happens. Like, I'm totally living the spontaneous life, (laughs) which I think is very important for a free spirit. Mm -hmm. Because if I put... That's why I wanted to do this podcast now. Instead of scheduling it, I hate scheduling anything. (laughs) I don't schedule things. I only do things when I'm in the mood and it's time. Mm -hmm. So that's how the suicide calls happen. People call me because they're in the mood to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. And they they're not scheduling me. it. Yeah. They're not scheduling it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like you said, can we do a podcast? And I'm just like, can we do it today? Oh, you're in Pennsylvania. Come meet me at my hotel room. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, I think it's you're better right. for me. Like it just works for me that way. Of course, if I had children and had all these other responsibilities, I'd have to have a schedule. Yeah. If I worked for a big box clinic, I'd have to have a schedule. You know what I mean? Mm. But I am now completely, Completely intolerant of schedules. (laughs) Like, I can't be on a schedule at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can show up at a speaking event when it's my time to talk, but I can't otherwise be on a schedule. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a very interesting, it's like, uh, there's like, there's like real time and then there's real time. Uh Like, there's like real, real time in quotes is like at 1130, you have to do this thing. Like, that is a consensual or consensus-driven hallucination that this is the appropriate time uh-huh. for something versus, like, the sun is up, the sun is down. Yeah. Like, there, there's other aspects of, like, real time that right. to detach it from, like, the, the clock is a very hard thing for a lot of people, and especially, yeah. like, medical people. Right. That's, like, the only way you can get through... Basically, the only way you can get through medical school is to be, like, a hyper-scheduled person, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's what we're selecting for in, in mm-hmm. MCAT and all of that. And um, the the ability to kind of just roll with whatever you receive mm-hmm. is it can be so good because that's when you find really cool stuff. Yeah, that's when the sometimes the coolest stuff rolls into you. Yeah, into right. your lap. Yeah. yeah, like this, like this, like right. like finding yeah. out that you're here and this whole yeah. thing. I was just like, oh, I, I can ignore. I can try to put this off as a scheduling thing, or I can just like accept that this is a wonderful gift and just right. get get over there. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked, but yeah. it's also like. Oh, but Mackenzie has to watch the kid for a while. And it's like, okay. it's, you know, it's a thing. And, uh, you know, but it's also, I th- I really respect that you're like, this is this is how I decided to live my life. Mm-hmm. And it is leading you to some, it's not like leading you away from work. It's leading you toward work, mm-hmm. which is the cool part. Mm-hmm. Like that, that I think is the sign that this is like the right tact for you, especially yeah. because it's not like, it's not like you're just, you're not like just holding up in the, in the Oregon woods. You're like holding up in the Oregon woods, but also coming out to do all this really cool stuff. Yeah. I'm on. I'm in the emotional and spiritual flow of my life, and so I think other people who are in the emotional spiritual flow of their life, like it intersects at the perfect moment. And like people, like, are you kidding? If somebody reaches out to me and they're suffering, why would I want to reschedule the call? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, scheduling things already is a downer. <laughs> Anytime you have to schedule anything, and like look through your dinner, calendar. Date, sex, whatever. As soon as you schedule something, it sucks. Mm-hmm. It's called spontaneity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right? But people do that. They schedule. I'm going to have a play date with my daughter here. I'm going to do this here. I'm going to. It's like scheduling makes you feel like 
well, for me, like I would be in prison and it, it, it destroys like the emotional, spiritual context of what would have otherwise happened spontaneously. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's just my thought. I get it. I pick it up. Okay. And so you're free flowing. You are an expert on physician suicide. Um, There's some other things that I just can't quite pick up. Is there anything else on that list that you want to talk about? Nah, I'm good on the I am. All right. How do you finish that next prompt? Before I die, I want. Before I die, I want to experience all the fun stuff in life that I would think is fun. Uh, I always like to say I want to do everything once. Um, emotional and spiritual stuff. Not. I'm not, by the way, I'm not into physical pain. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not into like hiking Mount Everest or okay. anything that's like physically painful. I'm not into snow camping, nothing. No. <laughs> I'm into like anything that's emotionally and spiritually kind of off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm interested in that, but not physical pain. Okay. So I don't want to have any physical pain, but I'm totally into any other sorts of could you give an example? Excursion. Yeah, like what, what? what's an example of an excursion you're either looking forward to or hope to do before you go? Um, like, I would love to, I would love to do like sort of healing ceremonies on large groups somehow. Like, um, I think there's a need to do like post-suicide postvention on large groups with large groups of people and like facilitating that would be kind of cool. I love doing the candlelight vigil for the doctor uh, last year who died by suicide. I love leading people's eulogies. I love writing. I love, see, that's the thing that was so cool about, I led a eulogy. This is totally making sense for me for the first time. Okay. I led a eulogy for Mm -hmm. Dilshad Juman who stepped off a Mount Sinai hospital building, but I never met her. So it's kind of weird to eulogize somebody you've never met. However, considering I was hanging out with dead bodies as a child and making up heroic stories about their life, Mm. that's almost like a eulogy. You know what I mean? So it's like, I feel like I was trained to do eulogies that were like these heroic, like beautiful eulogies on people that I didn't know. So Mm. yeah, I wouldn't mind doing more of that. I sort of like that. like if there is instead of other people like freaking out and crying and ignoring the suicide like Mm -hmm. I would like to be called in to facilitate the whole healing scenario from when the body drops off the building onward Mm -hmm. and I would like to participate in the whole thing like suicide CDC like the like like the whole squad I need to do like from the dealing with the residents who are freaking out to helping the faculty to helping manifest change in the environment so that Mm. um, people don't have PTSD from, you know, like candlelight vigils to leading a memorial service to I don't know, like yeah, I just think that's a really interesting time after suicide to be able to have a bunch of long conversations with people without crank calling them from a phone book um, I don't know. I'm just using the skill sets I already have, yeah. which is like helping people in total distress, mm-hmm. dealing with death, and writing. Oh my God, I'm really, I love writing. I love writing. Now, wow. why? 
Like I, I, why I can. Do I love writing? Yeah. Why do you love writing? Oh, because it's therapy. Because I have all these epiphanies. Yeah. Because it's just life makes sense when I can write everything down. And, okay. Oh, it's not in me. Like I have so much to share. Otherwise, it's contained. Mm-hmm. I can't. Nobody probably wants to talk to me as long as I could talk. You know, mm-hmm. I wear other people out, so <laughs> I might as well just start writing. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And do you, uh, with your writing, is it, uh, how much of it is for, for the blog? How much of it is just for, for like personal journaling? Like in what ways do you write? Do you write well, I'm not keyboard? doing personal journaling anymore. I'm just doing like, I just blog about stuff that like, that makes me angry or excited or have some emotion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To figure out my emotion. Just keep, you know, until I come up with the. The reasoning. Like the. Until, yeah. what makes sense. Okay. Um. And I see how the work that you're doing will lead you to that um, greater facilitation of the the post suicide work. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, that'll be really interesting to see in a couple of years where, mm-hmm. where this leads, where this rabbit hole takes you. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other of these emotional spiritual uh, offshoots that you're willing to explore, or that you'd like to explore before you go? Uh, before I die, I want to eradicate human rights violations in medical training. Like that's for sure. Like, once we do that, like, I think the suicides will stop. I also want to stop all the suicides, which I think you can stop all of them except for a subset that would have diverted in any profession, mm-hmm. you know, because there's some people that just... Like, there's a basal layer, of, unfortunately. The, yeah, of people that are, like, sort of have the death written on their forehead when they're born. And, mm-hmm. like, they're, that's another thing. Like, I think people just have sort of have written the book of their life before they get here. So, I don't know. I think suicide's a failure. Like... I just think, like, why be in a medical system that claims to be about compassion that's killing its own? Like, uh, that whole thing is just bizarre. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's a literal like, eating of its own. your yeah. own people in a healthcare system mm-hmm. makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit over. I think that's what drove people into wanting to take a nap. I should have, after my talk, said, okay, nap time and cookies. <laughs> that would have been okay. Like, it's kind of hard. Oh, I feel so, I do feel bad for people that it was, like, total, total overwhelming for it's tough. It it's tough. It's How tough do you topic. schedule that on a, a day? It's a tough topic. You know? Yeah. It's a tough topic. Yeah, where do you put it? Do you put it at the end of the day? Beginning of the day? In the middle oh, of lunch? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. There's no, there's no like, there's ideal no time. There's no yeah. good time for it. Yeah. But um, especially with the amount of content I shared with <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what was the question? Yeah, I want to eradicate human rights violations so we stop having the suicides. Um, do you think that'll happen before you die? Yeah. You really think so? Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's gonna happen pretty quick. Really? Yeah. I'm. I uh, so I'm I not. I'm so optimistic. I'm not pessimistic, but I'm just like, where, like. Uh, where do I get that from? Yeah. Where do Where does this? Here's optimism where it come? comes from. Okay. Check it out. I'm publishing the book on June 19th. Do you know what June 19th is? Uh, that is the solstice, right? No, June 21st. Oh, close. June 19th is called Juneteenth, and it's uh, a holiday in the southern part of the U.S. because it's the day uh, that the slaves were freed in 1863, I think, in Texas. It was like Emancipation Day. Okay. Okay, so why am I optimistic is because the day before the slaves were freed, do you think anyone was, like, super excited that was enslaved? Do you think they saw it coming? No, like, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed Mm -hmm. and suddenly they were freed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's, like, the... Everything looks like shit until the day doesn't. before until it doesn't. 
And it's like one law or okay. one shift or one Rosa Parks or one. Mm. And yeah, there's an outfall and it takes so long. And yeah, there's still some racism. Mm. And yeah, there's we're going back and forth and sliding back into things that are counterproductive. I don't know, whatever. I mean, there's always like a, stuff, you know. Yeah. But the point is, like the day before uh, people were released from Auschwitz, the day before Emancipation Proclamation was signed, like no, nobody was super optimistic mm. like the day before. But, like, everything changed in less than 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of how I approach life. I get it. Any day now, there could be something that shifts everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's so hard with, like, victims when you're, like, in the state of being actively victimized because you have to work 80-hour weeks or Mm. you are on a labor camp or you're enslaved or whatever it is, like, when you're actually being victimized, it's super hard to see, like, the other side, you know? But, like, from my perspective, Mm -hmm. having seen everything over 51 years, I truly think, like, shifts can happen overnight um, just with one piece of legislation or one wrongful death lawsuit, or one mm. class action suit, or one financial penalty that knocks a hospital's socks off because they mm. abuse their own staff. Like, one key piece of legislation, legislation, financial penalty, or one group of victims standing up for their rights and marching down the street. It only takes one group of people, or even one person with legal power, to change like a whole system mm-hmm. overnight. What do you think? I'm thinking there was a thing that we did towards the end of medical school where it was sort of like, a, how are we going, like, what are some things that we can do as leaders and change, change agents in our future residency programs to help ensure, like, to prevent burnout, you mm-hmm. know, like, all, the, all these things. And it was like, get, a, get like, a, get concierge service for the residents and mm-hmm. give them, uh, like, increased pay or, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, like more wellness things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I suggested that we like all these things are I was like I think I feel like a lot of these things are giving us more grass in the zoo and I want to be able to give us the keys to the zoo I want like residents to be able to unionize mm-hmm. have uh be able to negotiate their own contracts and be able to um to to like schedule their own time off mm-hmm. you know like rather than having it assigned to them and it was just crickets and everyone just moved on to the next topic that's what happens when I talk at places yeah well they didn't all walk out, but, some of them, but that's okay. No, I've done that at, like, meetings with other people. It's like, yeah, they're not quite there yet. They're not there yet. It's okay, but at least you said it, and you know what? You planted a seed that's still in their head. <laughs> you know, really. Mm. Yeah. And that's all you can hope for at a certain point. Yeah, it's point. okay. Yeah. It only, seriously, it, it only takes the tipping point or whatever. It only takes a small amount of people to really shift mm-hmm. a culture. Yeah. And then everyone else sort of jumps on. It's kind of like all the people that like, oh, Pamela, Pamela. And then you get a certain traction. They're like, hey, I've been friends with you since third grade. You know, like they all mm. want to be your best friend. Mm. It's weird. Mm. It's funny. It's a, there's a book out recently that I think you'll really dig in, in this vein. It's called Loon Shots. And it's mm-hmm. just how like uh, these things are more like phase shifts, like mm-hmm. phase, like going from a solid state to a, mm-hmm. a liquid state. And it just mm-hmm. takes like, a, it's just like a little temperature change and it all yeah. All shifts. Yeah. But it's just like whether what is the temperature change yeah. and which direction is it going? And like uh oh God, I'm so excited about this book. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my god. It's gonna like, be cool. Imagine if interns had the words to describe what was going on mm-hmm. to make sense of their life out of the confusion of their despair mm-hmm. and then had an action plan that made sense and they were documenting everything with audio, video, or print mm-hmm. so that if they ever wanted to bring a lawsuit against their employer or medical institution, they'd be like completely over-documented. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. It'd be great. It takes one class action lawsuit. It just takes one. But it's also yeah. like... Uh, or just takes, yeah. You know, it's... It, Sometimes the med school, it's only like one toxic person in a power position. Mm-hmm. Like everyone else is awesome. It's just that one. And there's this one person that's the president of the medical school that's mm-hmm. in that case. And yeah, it sets the tone and it destroys it for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So it's really not as bad as it seems. Okay. I respect that. I, yeah. I really, I hope, I really do hope, but I'm just yeah. like, in, a, in my, in, in yeah, like our lifetime. Yeah, it's going to happen in your gener. It's going to happen in our. I hope. Hey, it's, it's, trust me. Okay. I, I do. I really do. I'm like uh, more out of self-interest than anything else. I uh-huh. trust you, you know? Cause it's, uh. Same it's, thing with the do no harm film, you know, the do no harm film. Uh, the documentary that was made on oh, suicide. Yeah, yeah. Like, a bunch of people all the time were like, oh, do you think she's really going to make it? Oh, will she really finish it? And it's like, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. We raised $300,000 on Kickstarter. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's so weird how some people are just oriented towards, like... Things can't happen. Things can't happen. Things can't... I don't know. The Debbie Downer, the, like, uh, do you think it's going to get better? I don't know. Like, it's a real victim mindset. I've never had that mindset. I think it's the entrepreneur in me. Mm-hmm. I really feel like, like, anything can shift. Mm-hmm. Any, Yeah. I really do feel like I believe before I die. No, that doesn't really go with that one. But I do believe anything's possible. Like anything is possible. And I guess at any moment, I believe anything is possible. Has that been with you this whole time? Because I remember you were talking about um, you had you were suicidal. I think about two thousand four yeah. before you when you were working for the big box yeah. healthcare, and then you shifted to a more entrepreneurial, uh-huh. uh, like your own your private practice, I believe, right? right? Yeah. And like was. Uh, was that entrepreneurial aspect uh, like wh- like you know where was that did it, did it has it flourished since that 2004 low and since you know how bad things can be you realize how good things are like where does this how does that fit in in this whole like arc the entrepreneurial thing yeah and just just having this confidence that things are gonna get like things are good. like I think like yeah it can get better at any moment and I could create something at any moment that would change everything in my life and yeah like I think that the power of one person living their uh, highest values like shifts everything like mm-hmm. people underestimate their power mm-hmm. I believe that seriously as well. people underestimate their power yeah I don't know if that helped, but it does. Yeah, like, yeah. And so uh, I wonder, is there anything else? Because we've, I think we've hit on a lot of the the kinds of things that you want to do. But are there any specifics else that you want to discuss before I die? Before I die, oh my god, I would love for it to be more like complementary male female. This whole sort of, I don't know if you think we're in a patriarchy, but it sort of feels that way for women, okay? Um, <laughs> was yeah. that the cool, like, are you cool with this or oh not? Oh <laughs> my god, that's because there was a whole blowout on this coaching group that I have with doctors where we got into a patriarchy, com- patriarchy conversation, and then there were, like, women against women and men against women. It was, like, a, it was kind of hard to manage. Mm. Um, 
But I think, oh, yeah, on social media, it's really hard to have heated discussions about anything that it's polarized topic because it just mm. degrades no matter you, how yeah. great of a facilitator you are like mm. the whole thing degrades yeah like you have to do those in public and in, in, in uh, person in a closed space in a closed yeah. safe yeah. space where people feel like yeah they otherwise it just it's just reinforcing patterns yeah yeah so uh like yeah i would love to see like a totally complimentary world where women are honored and everyone's honored regardless of their gender and yeah do you think that'll happen in your election? Yes. yes you I think do. is that another one of those like it's oh, yeah. it's coming? It's, it's coming, it's coming. It has to come. Like we're out of sync. Like we're off kilter. Mm. It's harming the planet. Oh my god, before I die. Oh my god, I want everyone to be vegan. Wouldn't that be great? Like oh my god, <laughs> no more animals would die. That would be great. Look, I'm wearing leather shoes. I feel guilty about it because I was vegan for twenty two years and didn't even own anything leather. And I also didn't have a refrigerator for 10 years, and I didn't own a car. And I biked everywhere, and I was so, like, legit, like, really mm -hmm. um, totally ethical type of doctor. I did house calls on my bicycle. Oh, you know, wow. like, I've really, like, given up some of my values that were really important to me, and I feel guilty about it mm -hmm. sometimes. So I do have to say that. I do feel guilty not being as really pure and aligned with my higher values that I still have okay but it's just weird it's, it's weird. tough you know it's weird it's, it's weird. like you gotta you gotta you gotta give in some ways to do the like not like not, I didn't even fly on airplanes I would only go on Amtrak I didn't want to use oh, wow. like the fuel I didn't oh. was I was so like not wanting to you're like, strong and I respect kill that kill the planet it's like but okay now it's so weird how am I gonna get to a thing like this yeah how am I how? deal with physician suicide I'm sort of on a physician rights human rights thing but I used to be an animal rights activist okay but now I'm wearing leather and I'm doing human rights I don't know the whole thing and my friend's daughter was just arrested for staging a slaughterhouse lockdown at a facility where they have 250,000 ducks that are like being Jeez. murdered I don't know when I think about stuff like that it just tweaks me out and then I think oh my god I've given in I've totally my morals are not where they should be and then I get hard on, I don't know it's very hard to do mm -hmm. both like that's the thing it's like yeah. oh my god how am I going to do the whole thing with physician suicide but I need to go back to strict vegan which I am vegan at home but it's like but I'm not like living it the way I want to it's a conundrum I'm in a little bit of a conundrum I can tell it's like okay. a, it's, it's really bothering me and there's also silk in this and then mm -hmm. I'm like oh my god all those silkworms it's it's rough I'm in a you're, little you're rough. carrying a lot, of, personal this, lot of dead turmoil dead, I've got a bodies. lot of dead okay they're buddies. So sorry. They're buddies. I'm so sorry to this cow. Okay. Um, <laughs> other than that, I'm pretty proud of myself, but yeah. I have backed off on things that were important to me. Well, it's anyway, also like a, I, I, this it's is hard to do all. Of it's it a question that I have too. Yeah, it's like, can you do all of it at once, or can you do you do you loosen the focus and then tighten the focus in other places? Because yeah. like that, this is something that I'm struggling with too. Like with a six month old and going into residency and and trying like all these wacky little side projects, and then also mm -hmm. trying to develop a career that's going to be off kilter from a lot of other people. Like, what do I? not negotiate about but what do I allow is like this can you know it's like this, those are really hard questions especially when you start going to the work mm -hmm. that like you feel like you've been put on this earth to do, to do. you know yeah. it's like when like do you like, okay what's the work that you were oh and this was a question Tate had in his session earlier mm -hmm. today which was like what 
do you feel you uh, okay what work do you do that's irreplaceable basically yeah. like if you died the, what have you what would the world miss right mm-hmm. like, okay I have 1300 doctor suicides on this registry and I totally understand why most of them died and I have the whole backstory and if I died like this registry wouldn't exist mm-hmm that's kind of like a loss. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, a loss of, like, understanding of why this is happening and names, like, and... But I can't really give it to anyone else because it's confidential because so many people are like, don't tell mm-hmm. anyone, don't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. So all these private emails, it's like, before I release any names, I always check with the family. Like, is mm-hmm. it okay if I put this in my slideshow kind of thing? Jeez. So it's like, like every one of them yeah, if you, is when you like, know this, the, that I list. know, it's like, it's gone. Yeah, it's not like a practice list that you can just no. like hand over. It's no, like, I can't. Exactly. No, it's, this, it was entrusted like, to you. Like, I know. Is, it's like the weirdest thing. I'm walking around <laughs> with all these dead doctors, and yeah. I can't share them with anyone no. except in pieces that mm. I, like, process, process and, and out. shave off. Like, and... I did this talk for this orthopedic surgery keynote, which was awesome because I reviewed the 33 orthopedic surgery uh, doctors who died by sur- by suicide and I totally revealed like all their circumstances and all of them and did the this data set and it was like super great and I checked the families and I whatever but it's like that was a lot of work to uh, it was cool because I learned I feel like I have a huge understanding of orthopedic surgery <laughs> surgeons uh, psychology yeah they're um, an interesting bunch yeah, they're a really interesting group of people but it's like yeah it's that's irreplaceable. Yeah. So it's kind of weird when you think about what have you done that's irreplaceable. That, like, nobody else. And I do believe that like everyone is living a life that is so unique that they are doing things that nobody else has like the same combination of skills to be able to pull off. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like we're each doing our little piece of mm-hmm. the puzzle. And we have to like, and we sort of are compelled to do it. Like we have to do it. Because mm-hmm. nobody else can. And that's that's the weird thing about medicine. It's like they want everyone to be a, a replaceable cubicle worker. It's like, man, you guys aren't getting this. Like, there's some serious healings that's going to take place if you can unleash people's full potential to be a healer. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I want to do. Before I die, I want to help physicians release their full healing potential on the world. Like, but they have to be well themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, you remove the restrictions and the change. Yeah, on. I need to, like, really free doctors healers Mm -hmm. and also need to have this uh nurse practitioner physician tension (laughs) because that's really a problem it's really interesting right it's It's really weird like Like, with the apcs it's just like don't don't fight like there's got to be a way where we can do this together i mean nurse practitioners call me and they're suicidal so what am i not going to help you because you're a nurse practitioner I help nurse practitioners open their own clinics so they don't get lost in the seven-minute, you know, cubicle either. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, we all had the intentions to be healers. It's just really weird. Some physicians are, like, upset with me because, oh, the reason why I got kicked out of this group is because they said I'm anti-psychiatry. Anti-psychiatry. I spent my last seven years, like, helping all these doctors that are wounded and need help, you Mm. know? And they also said I'm pro-NP. Pro-NP doesn't mean anti-MD and anti-DO. That yeah. means, like, every one of us need... Like, if you're going to be a healer on the planet, don't you help whoever calls you? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not seeing black patients today. I'm only seeing Puerto Rican. <laughs> How does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Aren't you, like, for everyone? Like, whoever calls me and needs help, like, I feel like it's my job to help them. Mm-hmm. 
so and that's, uh, it's kind of weird. It's like us or them. You're good or evil. You're on our side or their side. Yeah. Like that is so dangerous. Yeah. Like I'm tired of the polarization. Before I die, I want this unity, at least in the healing profession. Like I maybe can't get bankers to all agree or hedge fund people to all agree. I don't know. There's all these people that are motivated by other things, but I'm just assuming if you want into medicine, you like you want to be a real healer, and if you're going to be a real healer, like you know, being pro nurse practitioner doesn't mean like you're against doctors. You know what I mean? Like it means you want to help mm-hmm. people who need help, who are suffering, who could be nurses or anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Isn't that weird? That is weird. That do- so this is the thing about doctors is so weird. Like the infighting that goes on. How doctors distrust other doctors, right? How um, doctors don't trust nurse practitioners. How nurses have animosity towards doctors. Like, if that isn't counterproductive, mm-hmm. isn't that crazy? That's so strife. counterproductive. Yeah. Anyway. I get it. What else? How do you finish that next prompt? When I die, I want. Oh, when I die, I want to reunite with all these doctors on my board. I have so much I want to figure out with them. And like I also want to see my dad. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I totally want to party with Greg Madej. He's so awesome. He was such a... I can't drink alcohol, unfortunately, because I, like, have the lowest tolerance for alcohol of anyone on the planet. And I, like, just... I can't be a partier that way. But Greg Madej was such a partier. And I think he's hilarious. I never got to meet him. Like, I know this stuff about people. Like, <laughs> why, they were, why they got in the trouble they got into that led to their deaths. And it's like, I'm still getting emails from people who, like, partied with him. Because he was such a friggin' maniac, hilarious guy. Mm-hmm. Who was so untethered and super smart. He showed up, like, first day of his intern year or whatever in, like, pink scrubs. And he already knew everything. And, like, medicine was so easy for him. Mm-hmm. He already knew it all. Like... He didn't hardly, he never, he basically spent all his time helping other people who were slow, which was like all the rest of us, and then spent all his time like partying and stuff. But when he was at work, he was never impaired, and he was like amazing as this nocturnist. Hospitals, but he got hooked into these PHPs, had to do all these treatment programs, and they were so bullying him, he just slid his arteries and died in a bathtub. And it's like, oh my god, we just lost this most amazing, brilliant guy because it was a once, it was our way or the highway sort of bully him out of his substance use issues which mm. did not impair him with patients he was never impaired with patients mm. it's just really weird because if he was in another profession like a realtor or whatever he would be able to drink on his own time and do his own thing even if he died prematurely whatever he's a little bit of a you know on yeah. the edge guy but he was like the most brilliant doctor ever i just think it's weird that he's not here mm-hmm. you know what i mean his patients are still writing on his legacy obituary page, thank you for saving me, from four years ago because he didn't call off the code. You know what I mean? Like, who's getting their obituary page filled up with thankful patients that you saved their life? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Isn't it a shame? Yeah. He was bullied. I think it's fascinating that, that you know all of the, the, that there are these, like, shining humans that you, you only know after they're gone. I know, but they're still interacting with yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, they come in my dreams. I don't hear from them, like, auditory stuff, but yeah. Greg <laughs> Greg interacts with me with numbers and okay. also sometimes smells, which is hilarious. Yeah. 
because his mom, after he died, whatever, sent me, his mom's a psychiatrist, she sent me all his baby, baby pictures and oh, sent me, like, what else did she send me? Like, his homework from third grade. Like, I don't know. I have all this stuff I have in my computer. Like, it's like my computer's sort of a museum of everything that parents want to keep talking about about their dead children. Mm-hmm. So I have all these files on, like, all these different people. And then I feel like I know them because we're obviously from the same tribe like they're doc they're the same kind of doctor i am like some of them are way more smart than me like i'm not photographic memory i'm not a linear thinker and a lot of these guys like never had to study in medical school and were like amazing physicians and it was effortless for them Mm -hmm. which is why it's so fucking sad they're not here because like they were brilliant you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and we just slaughtered them because they like to drink in their free time Maybe they had to drink to cope with the fact that they were a prodigy and the rest of us are retards, you know? Sorry. But, I mean, the point is, like, it's kind of hard to be, like, the most brilliant person in the room and then to be bullied by these programs that put everyone on a one-size-fits-all. I don't know. Tell me the thing. But, um, yeah, like, I knew his favorite food was pizza. I know his favorite color, the exact shade of pink. He's done all these weird things with me where he auto-highlights stuff in pink on my computer, like where I know he's trying to say something to me, like lines. It's, isn't that weird? Yeah. Like computers don't auto-highlight at all and not in light pink, like a certain shade of pink that was the scrubs that he wore his oh, first yeah? day of intern year. Gotcha. He interacts with me with that. And 1113, because that's his birthday, November 13th, and there's all these 1113 things that happen. But I was driving in an industrial part of Eugene, and all of a sudden the inside of my car smelled like pizza. Like, for no apparent reason, and I know that's his favorite food, and he... Whatever. He does these things. He does these things like, hey. I'm like, yeah, I know you're here. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like it is... uh, Can you... Is it a one-way in that you're receptive, only receptive to him and, like, others... Or is it, uh, do you, are you able to like be like, hey, I, I smell the pizza, that's fine, I get it. I think it. it's a two-way thing. Yeah? I think it's like a, my, I, have a I have a godmother who died by suicide and like it's a two-way thing with yeah. us. Yeah. Okay. Like you can, I think you can make, uh, you can, uh, you can communicate with people who are willing to communicate with you mm-hmm. over shared interests. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I dig it. We're going to dig more into this. Okay. So uh, that is, I think, something that is going to happen a little bit after you die. Like, I wonder, what about what about that actual transition from life to death? Oh. Yeah, what about that moment, that when? Oh, you go through some sort of a tunnel? I have no idea. Yeah. As long as I'm not in pain, I don't care about it. As long as I don't have physical pain, I don't care what happens. Okay. But I would like to be here longer to accomplish all the things that I need to do in physical form. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's some stuff that you have to do yeah, in a human body. Yeah. So I'd like to do everything that I can do in a human body to mm. accomplish some of these, like, humanitarian goals that mm-hmm. I have. Mm-hmm. And then after that, like, I'm totally fine with doing the spiritual force accomplishments, which is what I think some people who have transitioned are now doing, is working on the spiritual realm. Um it's like a spiritual relay race thing and I think like we're still in connection and they're doing stuff I'm sure with other people now. I don't consider yeah. myself the center of the universe or anything but I do feel like like there's people you, you are a weird nexus I'm a weird <laughs> nexus of different things coming in and so yeah like I wanna yeah so I got a question for you yeah. so with this physical 
discomfort, pain being a real thing that you'd want to avoid. How, like, hypothetical situation. Like, how much pain are you willing to endure physically to really get this work done? Oh, physical pain as far as staying. I mean, I don't want to end up, like, with, I don't know, such a terrible arthritis. I can't walk and I can't, you know, like, physical. Yeah. Like, I don't want a terrible disease. But, That's like, would that, would that be, like means like a reason to end your life or would that be if it gets too bad like i'm not going to put up with physical pain but um but i do um i don't know i think i think i accomplish a hell of a lot before i I get any physical pain yeah it's gonna be that bad that i want to take my life okay that's fair and i know the best ways of suicide to die because i've studied all these people and how they did it so i definitely know the best way to die by suicide okay that's fair (laughs) the painless way okay that's fair i want to ask you offline because i don't want to give people it you know what i mean it's one of those like oh let's not let's not give people the the tools to the bomb kit you know okay you know but yeah i'm just very curious about final exit it's all in a book anyway okay fair it's not um so you want it to be painless. You want it to be after a certain point so that you get all this work done. Mm-hmm. I'm a total workaholic. Yeah. But I love it. <laughs> so you want to... It sounds like you kind of work, want to work until the end in some yeah, capacity. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. And... Has, is there anything that... Any experience that you've had in life or other... Like, in, in your life that would inform you about that, like, light going through the tunnel, that experience of death, that that moment of losing life and becoming death I think sometimes you don't know that you've died what do you mean by that like you still think you're here oh yeah that you're free floating mm-hmm. but then you're like you don't have to go to the bathroom and you're like what the hell just happened you know like you just your bladder never gets full like it's just mm-hmm. weird like you go into a zone where I think you still think you're here until you realize like you don't have to do the bodily function stuff but okay. uh what uh, what exactly like where where does that come in like what what does that uh, could you give an example of that or, or your experiencing of that or like others? You want to hear the weirdest thing that happened with a suicide? I would stuff? love to. This was just like I feel like I I'm in the right place at the right time and I somehow like attract this to me. But I was giving a talk on preventing physician suicide to a faculty retreat, um, in SUNY at SUNY Downstate. Mm-hmm. And I went to the bathroom to put my lavalier mic on, you know? Mm-hmm. And I came out of the bathroom, and they were going to introduce me, like, at 9 a.m. And it was, like, 8.56. And I, it, the bathroom was right across the hallway. When I came out of the bathroom, this male doctor was standing there, and he said... I won't say her name, but he said, She's dead. She died. He said her name, and she died. And then he said... She died. And I knew right away, like, they just had a resident suicide. I knew, like, what just happened. Because I'm, like, standing there when the attending found out that his second-year OBGYN resident died. And I'm standing right there when he got the phone call, going in to do a talk on preventing physician suicide. Jeez. That's really weird. Right there at the moment. Like, I had to walk past this a small group of people, you know, the check-in table, like, mm-hmm. for a conference, like, where we were downstairs. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, three people there. Not a big conference. It was 60, it was 60 faculty that came to May 31st. Mm-hmm. What day was that? What year? 2017 or something. They came to this event. I was just walking across the hallway to go in. That was not more than the length of this hotel room. 
and I come out of the bathroom and I'm just standing there when this whole conversation is going on. And then the person who introduced me had to leave because she had to deal with it was her resident that just died. So she introduced me, but she didn't tell anyone in the room that this happened because they didn't want to, like, have the conference, like, have everyone leave. So she introduced me as if nothing's gone awry here. Mm -hmm. And I already knew in my heart and soul what happened. Nobody told me, but I knew in my heart and soul Mm -hmm. what happened. And I later found out the truth that that was correct, right? Mm -hmm. And then I did my talk. And then... I went online and looked up this person's name that I heard, and everyone's like, the usual shock, 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 what do you mean? She died in her sleep, she died in her sleep, she died in her sleep. And that was the first time that I ever saw SIP. Usually you see RIP when somebody dies, rest in peace. You know what SIP is? I never saw that. I never saw that before or after, but only in her case did I see SIP, and it means sleep in peace. And I was like, that's right, because she died, she died of sleep deprivation. She totally overdosed on sleeping medication is what I ended up finding out. Mm-hmm. And I have, like, um, some therapists that I go to and a medium that I talk to who has helped me communicate mm-hmm. with some of these dead doctors. I don't... I used to want to be able to hear from them, but I'd probably go psychotic if I heard... Th- are you kidding? 1,300 doctors having free-flow communication with me who've died by suicide? Yeah. I would not be in my normal state of mind. Mm. I could only take so much per day. <laughs> so much pizza you know smell, I mean? yeah. Yeah, so many, yeah. It's <laughs> like you cannot communicate with all 1,300 of them. Mm. There's only like four of them that actively sort of try to communicate with me and come to my dreams and stuff. Mm. Like most of them are like sort of mellow. But, um, but in her case, I went to go talk to my therapist and I talked to this medium and I wanted to know like what happened because it was just so weird that I was standing there when it happened and of course this is theoretical but what seems to make sense from everything that I put together but you know OBGYN is like the worst residency as far as sleep they are great they do great things just like that disclaimer you know just say but it is brutal it is a brutal residency it's the worst for sleep and for balance and whatever okay Mm -hmm. And the sleep that you do get, it's not good sleep. I don't think they're getting good REM mm-hmm. because they're in a hypervigilant state because any moment they have to go. Like, they're totally... So I think what happened with her is she was in this, like, hypervigilant state of maybe having to get up at any moment, right? But also needing, like, sleep because she was so sleep-deprived chronically as second-year OBGYN. Like, mm-hmm. that's at least two-plus years of sleep deprivation, right? Mm-hmm. So she took a bunch of sleeping pills to try to sleep. And I don't even know if it was, like, an intentional suicide. She just was so sleep-deprived, like, she had to do something to sleep. But then she died in her sleep. And I asked my uh, therapist, I was like, what do you sense? Because some of these people I talk to sometimes have a sense of what they think happened and I verified that a lot of the stuff that they've said once I've checked out with families was exactly what mm. happened intuition's a real weird thing it's a really weird thing mm. but she told me that in that case this woman was so like fragmented from sleep deprivation and just um, just the hyper compartmentalization and the just like 
the sleep deprivation that like when she died she didn't even really know that she died like she needed so much sleep you know what <laughs> I mean like that she literally was like completely fragmented like often when somebody dies apparently you can still sense them as a unit you know like they're still together mm -hmm. and their soul and is like in one big package wherever right mm -hmm. but in her case my therapist said like she's completely fragmented she's not in one piece like mm -hmm. I was like does she even know that she died and she's like I don't think she does you know what I mean like she is completely fragmented from Jeez. that OBGYN residency Jeez. isn't that weird mm. And then it was just so strange because every single thing on Facebook so many times was SIP. And I was like, sleep in peace. This is so weird. Yeah. And it happened right in front of me. Yeah. She died like right when I was standing. I mean, she died of maybe on my plane right there, like a something. few hours before I got on stage. Yeah, like that right? morning. They went to go look yeah. for her and mm -hmm. she was dead. Jeez. Yeah, and this is another case this is of, a, of like this weird impact that this that person had. That it wouldn't had. have had. Yeah. Like, she would be alive now if she was a real estate agent. Mm -hmm. Do you believe me that, like, most of those 1,300 people would be alive if they were dog groomers? Yeah. Why would they die? Yeah. If they were pilots, they would be alive. Yeah. They'd be great pilots. Yeah. Isn't this just, like, the weirdest thing ever as mm -hmm. a psychiatry intern you have to think this Yeah, is the fact that we're taking some of the best, brightest, and the most, some of the most compassionate people in our society uh -huh. that are really accomplished, and this is what's happened to them. And then by talking about it in a real way, you could put half of them to sleep. I was just watching everyone going into, like, a sort of weird hypnotic state. Like, I in. couldn't stop it because I wanted to get through my slides. But I, And I had another plan of, like, really trying to interact with people, but I would have needed to put much less content in there. And I sort of, I was so excited that I finished my book, I sort of just wanted to get the thumbnail of a little bit of there. But it was, like, completely slaughtered half the audience. So I do feel bad for them, and I hope they can come back and interact with me later. <laughs> I've never, like, sort of put half an audience into, like, an altered state of, like, can't cope, mm. you know? I don't it's know a strong... It's, it's, I don't know yeah. what else to say, but yeah. it was, like, really intense to watch that from where I was standing. I'm sure. Like, people... I can just tell you, like, there were some people that were, like... You know, like, there were some people that were nodding... There were people that had to leave and go to the bathroom or just, like, they couldn't cope. And there were, like, some people, like, especially the older docs, were just falling asleep. Mm -hmm. Maybe the food and just Sitting, too much. Yeah. It was way too much. It's like telling somebody Jesus doesn't exist and that's been their religion their whole life. It's really a lot to handle. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I've just told people, like, hey. We're killing each other. <laughs> we're killing each other and we've allowed this to continue. Mm -hmm. Whatever. It's hard. It is hard. It's yeah. hard, but like if you don't say it, like, it goes unsaid. And then how long can? How many deaths. more of these suicides can you I receive? I just can't stop. I I just can't let another mother have her child die by suicide like this. I just can't. Without doing your work, you know. Without like I have to. I know it's hard to hear, but I mean I think it's time to say this out loud. Mm -hmm. So sorry I lost half the audience, but. I think it was worth Half it. of them got it. The ones that needed it got you it. You got it. I got it. I got and, it. and the seed got planted. Yeah. I don't think there ever, anyone that was there will never look at burnout again without having like a little thing that says, is this human rights violation? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not going to be comfortable, but... Mm -hmm. And that's I planted mostly, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it takes trees, what, like 
10, 20, 30, 40, sometimes 100 it's years to become Germany. Long. Yeah. We're going to do it in five years. A big change. By the time you finish your residency. Are you planning on finishing four years? Four years. Okay. Yeah. That'll be great. By the time you finish. You hope Stick so. with it. Yeah. Okay, what else? Um, a, whatever. Yeah, the fragmented. The fragmented is yeah. tough. That's a wack, wacky little story. Did she ever come back? Like, did she ever reorient? Yeah. And, you like, what, I mean? what... It's just, uh, like, I think that there are very... Like, the way you die... I, I don't want to like put too much emotional spiritual weight to it, but I feel like it is very important. And if not only for you as the person who has died, but for the ones that are left after what you. What about the ones that are homicide suicides? Mm-hmm. Like I'm in touch with people who their husband shot their children before he died yeah. as a surgery resident. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What about that? Yeah. I don't know. That takes that. Cause you know that, what? If that person was not a physician, those kids would be alive, and so would he. Do you know there's a Facebook group for women who are in domestic abuse relationships with male physicians, and they can't get out? I did not know that. I didn't realize that. That's a whole other subset of, like, if they don't die by suicide, they're taking all this stuff home, and they don't know how to process their anger... And they're kicking their dog and being mean to their kids and their wife. Mm-hmm. And what about the fact that we created that in people mm-hmm. who otherwise wouldn't have behaved that way had they felt supported at work mm-hmm. with labor laws? I mean, this is really serious. Like, we need labor laws that are congruent with every other profession. Mm-hmm. And Unless, you know, I'm preaching to the choir. I get it. But it's like, I can't even believe, I like sort of can't believe this is happening. Yeah. I can't believe this is the medical profession that has done this to people. I'm still shocked in a way. Like you're waking up and you're like, we're still here. Like this is what we're doing still. 2019. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. People have gotten really acclimated to being victims that they don't see themselves as victims. So that it's hard for them to, generate the internal drive to change things you know what i mean like but it has to come from your generation Mm -hmm. can you see like where this is going to come from it's not going to come from the older generation sleeping Mm -hmm. it's going to come from the younger generation that are like just starting out in this career yep i was at every revolution comes from the younger generation being intolerant did the civil rights movement come from the older Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. women's right to vote all these Mm -hmm. things from younger people that stood up and said no and did walkouts and protests and civil disobedience, depending on you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll live up to that, I hope. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I was sitting, for your talk, I was sitting at a table with two undergrads that were shadowing a physician. Oh, yeah. And it was just, I could see that they had, no, they were just like, I had no idea that the this. The undergrads? Was, yeah, no. the undergrads were just like, I had no idea that this was what. Is happening like they, they're just like now that's going to create tension between mm. the follow-up conversation from this yeah if the physicians were not aligned. the physician was all on board with you oh like, they were yeah. okay cool yeah so it was it was just like but i was just like i think it was a very weird wake a good weird wake-up call for those undergrads just being uh-huh. like oh this is the specialty this is the world we're entering yeah and well, now, they need to know informed yeah. consent exactly it's like they have once informed you know consent. you can defend yourself yeah do your karate moves yeah what to do yeah. Wax off. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's gonna be wacky, and uh, we'll see. 
So that that's I think, so funny. Like the most interesting thing. That's seriously. This is very much mimicking how I feel. It's like. It's not the most interesting part of this. Isn't necessarily the person who died. It's the reaction of the still living to yep. the suicide. Yeah. That is like I could write a friggin' book about the reaction of the living. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that would be a that fascinating is like book. Amazing. Yeah. Go find me pages and Bible verses. <laughs> Go find me pages and Bible <laughs> verses. <laughs> Okay. I think that's going to solve it, but okay. Yeah. I see it. I mean, I see it in my own family too, with uh, the death of my grandmother that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, I see it in, in like my, my father's generation of siblings mm-hmm. and their complicated relationship with her. And mm-hmm. like it, they're complicated. It's just the, we, it, the, it is the weirdest thing. Just mm-hmm. the, the way people react in the wake of deaths mm-hmm. and, sometimes how it can do good you know like the death can cause enough work but it can also it's like a, you build a funeral pyre and you have all this gasoline ready to go and then you just don't light the fire mm-hmm. you know i see that sometimes and i'm just mm-hmm. that those are the ones that really hurt where it's mm-hmm. just like the work was ready for you and mm-hmm. you just it just wasn't done mm-hmm. yeah. uh, let's I would love to read that book about all of those responses to yeah. suicides. All right. I got another book project. Next one, down the line. Mm-hmm. Down the line. Um, is there anything else on that list of when I die, or should we move on to the next one after? Okay, move on to the next one. That was the when I die, right? Yep. Uh-oh, after I die. Oh, my God. After I isn't there the possibility I want to like ascend but it's so fun to be human in a way <laughs> but there's this thing about ascending where you don't have to come back because mm-hmm. this stuff gets old after a while but I don't know like uh, after I die I want I don't know I think it's the same thing that I said before I don't know if there's anything it's the when I die oh you were talking about in the moment when you die well after I die I want to hang out with Greg Midday Call him G. Mitty, like P. Diddy. Oh my God, who else do I hang out with? I totally want to. Oh my God, all those people on my board. I want to like hang out with them. Caitlin Elkins. And do you imagine it as like corporeal, almost like uh, you're in your body? You see that person in their body, like I what, recognize them. Yeah, like that kind this of a is thing. Weird. Yeah, maybe. But their bodies don't really need internal organs anymore. No, yeah. It's so weird. It's like you're just your body perimeter. Mm-hmm. Mm, I guess. I don't know. After I die. I want to hang out with my dogs, too. All my fun animals. Yeah. Do oh, that man. huge victory lap of all yeah. these people that have gone before you. All those animals that got killed in slaughterhouses. Oh, man, that's really affecting me. Uh, I don't know. I hope the lion's laying with the lamb and the people aren't doing the dastardly deeds that happened down here mm. to animals. Oh, man, I really wish we could have this peaceful... We could totally do it. Like, it's not that hard. There's so many fun things to do that to eat that are not meat. Like, oh, my God... We could be eating, like, 
the most amazing meals that are plant-based. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be cruel. It's so weird how it's like unnecessarily cruel. That is weird. Yeah. After I die, I want to make sure. Stop all this cruelty. I just want to, oh yeah, what I really want to do. So I want to, after I die, I want to do like what Greg, I know Greg, Greg learned how to do this. Like there's powers that you have when you're gone that you, it's sort of like training wheels. Like you don't really know what your powers are. So you have to practice using them. In order to practice using them, you have to have people that are still here willing to interact with you because <laughs> they're like trans ascendant type powers you know what I mean like mm. if he's gonna send me the pizza smell like I have to be ready and know like how to interpret it you mm. know what I mean if he sends the mm. pizza smell to somebody who's not ready they'll just think they're near a pizza place you know like, and or, they'll, or they won't even notice it mm. you know what I mean they'll just be driving down the street and they won't notice it mm. so like you literally have to find somebody who's receptive like I I don't know I hope I have a lot of um, receptive friends that are still here that I can <laughs> play games with like play jokes on I don't know does that make sense? It does. Yeah, I want to like, I want to sort of still be here in different, in different capacities. comical ways. Yeah. That, like, and I also want to pull strings to make things happen. Yeah. Yeah. My dad's doing that for me now. I know he's doing stuff on my behalf. He totally understands me in a way that he didn't when he was here, because he was too concerned about his own safety and other things. It's like you can't. Like, you can actually have a deeper relationship with somebody after they die. Because mm -hmm. when they're here, they just don't have, like, the spiritual um, fortitude to develop, like, a, a purely spiritual intense relationship with you because they're, like, they're too busy, like, going to the bathroom, doing their laundry, trying to pass medical school, like, mm -hmm. trying to save up to pay off their loans and get their next car, whatever, like, it's too distracted. Like, when mm. you're here, unless you can be hyper-focused and really shut out the world and have, like, my, you know, blank schedule and really sort of, I'm sort of approaching my life like a free spirit. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I have no debt, no responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Super mellow guy that I live with. That's, like, just <laughs> totally chill, right? So it's like, I don't really have to do anything except just be and see what the next experience is going to be mm. you know what i mean like i've set up my life so like no kids no distractions no nothing right some of my friends who have kids are like so jealous they're like oh my god i wish i'd get rid of my kids like i totally want to have your schedule mm. but it's like uh, yeah i never had a foster child that was good i got my yayas out she's 16 years old i had him for two years that was intense i could never do parenting again but um after I die, like, I want to, um, I want to play jokes on people and do, like, <laughs> really weird things to, mm -hmm. like, uh, like, I want to coordinate with some people that aren't here to, like, kind of whisper in the ears to people who are here that are, like, on the borderline of being receptive to new ideas and get them, like, I still want to coordinate, like, little revolutions down here, but I want to do it from, like, this other stealthy zone, which I know is mm. possible. Because I've, I've already experienced it. So I know that is a possibility. Okay. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. All right. That's good stuff. And uh, so that's... Um yeah, I think I can see that how much fun you'd have with that. Uh, what about for... Um, what about, like, the future? When I say the future, I like to think about, like, the deep future. 
like 10,000 years, 100,000 years, um, like, like far beyond anything, like the scope of what, like something we can imagine. Like what, when you think about something that far in the future, what do you think of? Like what, what do you hope for that future and what do you imagine it will, who do you even imagine would inhabit that future? I have no idea. I hope the earth is still here. That's kind of up for grabs. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, as long as I'm not in physical pain, I'm game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm game for for anything. Yeah. I really don't want to see like terrible stuff either. Like I don't want to be having to sit there and watch murders and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I mean that wouldn't put me in physical pain, but it's like terrible. I don't want to be. I don't want to have to be witness to anything that's physically mm. painful for others. Mm. <laughs> that's important to me, too. But uh, other than that, like, ah, oh, spiritual, total spiritual, like, I'm going to go towards the Nirvana scene. Yeah? Yeah, it'd be really cool to, uh, I think it'd be really cool to sit with a bunch of people who do, like, their life um, review of their multiple reincarnations. Mm -hmm. It'd be cool to hang out with someone that used to be a cat, a squirrel, you know, a morning glory, a weed, mm -hmm. and then a human. I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to just... I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> the, like, the free flow, like, be yeah. anything you want. Yeah. Like, yeah, what was it like when you were a tree in the redwood forest? Mm -hmm. With a... Uh, what's her name? Luna? I know the, na the tree's name is Luna, but the tree had... Uh, what's her name? Butterfly... A woman who lived up in the tree for a year to try to prevent it from being chopped down. Oh, I think I remember oh this story, God, but I don't so know. Oh my God, so cool butterfly. I forget her name, but I read her whole book, and I was like, oh, that's great. She lived up in that tree. Totally got in the tree zone with the tree. Like It's a different it pace. So it's a different cool. world. It was way up there and just could go with the wind and mm -hmm. go, like, lived up on the branches and had to poop in a thing and put it, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it was, a, had to get food, whatever, it was a scene, but that must be so wild to be able to, like, be a tree, tree. but yeah. be a human. That's the closest you can get to mm -hmm. being a tree, mm -hmm. is her, right? But it would be really cool to hang out with, like, somebody who was a tree or whatever, a bird, that'd be cool. Mm -hmm. These birds just, like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing. I just... Like I, like, I'm like amazed. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> well, you think about uh, like there are these people with like the uh, with like with a very techno techno futurist view of the world and humanity and wanting to extend human lives to like forever, or, like live two hundred years, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's just this idea of just like uh, you know, what are you going to learn in that last hundred years that you didn't learn the first hundred years? And like, mm -hmm. what are you like? I would learn more. I like to say this. Like, I like I would learn more. In, in one month as like a Bangladeshi girl yeah. you know than I would in the next 50 years of this right. life you know right, like right. I would learn so much more so yeah. much faster of just like yeah. how different is the world like what is right. the world and as a bird to, to go through the world and have the air be as thick as water and just mm -hmm. be flowing through it that'd be amazing the weirdest thing it's just oh so God. weird like your scale and your perspective can hugely impact the way you perceive reality and yeah, being able to change that, to be able to see different wacky things mm -hmm. like that, that'd be really cool. That'd be cool. cool. I'd like to go into all different zones. <laughs> I want to be a bird. I want to be... I don't know. I'm just... Oh, my God. Horses are so beautiful. <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many different things. Oh, I love how barns smell. 
I love how manure smells. I'm really into the whole, I, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen next, but it is, the whole thing down here seems like a cartoon. Did you like my cartoons? I did. Did you did you make them? No, no, no. I had someone else make them, but yeah, I, I, this just all seems so temporary and cartoonish. Mm -hmm. And if you take it's it too hilarious. seriously, it can get very. Really, it's very like. Uh, it's so weird. Yeah. People take their lives way too seriously. Their jobs <laughs> way too seriously. Oh my god, it's so strange. Yeah, I'm gonna be released from any. I just want to go with the flow. That's it. I'm going to go with the flow and just be safe. That's my whole MO for the rest of my life here. I'm going to go with the flow. I'm not worried about anything. Whatever, whoever comes to me, whatever I'm supposed to do next, I'm here. I sort of just want to keep that going, that MO going, like, into the future. If stuff's working, you'll know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. And uh, we've been talking for, I think, like an hour and a half, oh, okay. two hours, something. I don't know. I kind of lost track, but it's been in a good way. Oh, okay. In a good way. Um, and I want, this has been a wonderful conversation that I did not expect uh, in the best way. And I want to give you the last few minutes or moments of this, of this interview to speak directly to the audience, whoever's listening to this microphone in the future, whether it's a couple months from now or a couple years from now or a couple hundred years from now, who knows, whenever people will listen to this. Like any people, any not people. just medical students. Yeah, right? whoever, just whoever's listening to this and has been, made it to the end of the conversation. Wow. With, <laughs> with You're special. Right? If you can make it to the end and not fall asleep <laughs> and get zoned. Get sound out. Yeah. So the floor is yours. Whatever you want, whether it's uh, a medical student struggling or maybe it is uh, a person who just identifies with the story that you've told um, or just somebody that's like, hey, I heard about those Pamela Weibel. Mm -hmm. She's cool. Yeah, I think try not to make fear-based decisions. Be in the flow of your power and your truth. Um, you have everything you need inside of you and all the wisdom already exists in you for every, like the, the seed of you is there and you really don't need much except water, food, and um, friends to, uh, and random people to show up and help it grow. So like, uh, I don't know, I don't think you should worry too much about, you know, you don't need like a bunch of advanced degrees. So my big advice to people is stop collecting degrees that's what physicians do. We stay in school forever and then we keep collecting degrees and more CME and more degrees and more, you know, it's like, I think you can stop collecting degrees and just water the seed potential that you have so that you can fully blossom on this planet without too much uh, shoving yourself into cubicles. Like a lot of these advanced degrees are uh, cubicle shoving mechanisms. I don't know how else to say it, but it gets you locked into like rigid thinking. I think free yourself from um, too much external, um, uh, you know, it's like mind control and imprisonment. So yeah, I, I just hope everyone in here who's listening to this can um, have like the germination of the seed, the zygote that you were. <laughs> I hope it fully blossoms and you can in human form live to your full potential before you take space flight off into the next adventure. So that's, that's my summary. Good luck. Excellent stuff. Thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. Thank this you. has been Pamela Weibel on death.